I'm Chad Bokelman, and this is the Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Episode 604. And welcome back to the Action Comics Weekly Podcast, a podcast lovingly devoted to the DC Comics series of the same name, published from 1988 to 1989. I'm your host, Chad Bokelman, and joining me throughout this podcasting endeavor will be a rotating cast of semi-regular co-hosts from across the comics podcasting, blogging, and fan community. And this episode... Hey, 604. You know what? Honestly, I have no preamble for you. I'm not going to sit here and try and hype something up. I'm not going to tease something coming down the line. I'm not going to make excuses or promises or anything like that. You tuned in at this point to continue listening to Action Comics Weekly. And you know what? I thank you for it. So... In honor of your fandom, and let's face it, in an attempt to try and keep us a right around, if not less than, the three hour mark per episode, let's just get straight into it. And you guys enjoy this, the fourth episode of the Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Alright guys, we are back from break, and um... So far, just like every issue of Action Comics Weekly, we start off yet again with Green Lantern. Now, the rest of the stories are switched up in order, so I don't know why Green Lantern has to start every issue, but hey! It should! <laughs> yeah. That's why, because it should! Uh, as you can see, I have my adamant co-host from the Lantern cast back with me to talk some more Green Lantern. Welcome back, Mark! Thanks for having me back, Chad. <laughs> so uh, this is the first time you and I have recorded technically since uh, since the show's launch. So, uh, well, outside of the Lantern Cast show that we do, but so are you peeling back the curtain again? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't mind peeling back the curtain a little bit. The, people know that it's just a completely unre- unrealistic to record one segment at a time. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so essentially, dur- during the during the build-up towards uh, Chad's big launch of Action Comics Weekly, bi-weekly. <laughs> Action Comics Weekly podcast, bi-weekly. <laughs> bi-weekly. <laughs> that, uh, we, we pretty much recorded the original three segments all like literally back-to-back. And so this is so this is the first time in probably, you know, actually, realistically, this is about the first time in close to like five months at least, five to six months <laughs> that we're actually recording an episode. So... <laughs> together so there, in this so, so therefore you guys out there know exactly how much prep and thought i put into developing this podcast before i actually released it <laughs> right it, it is actually it actually does speak volumes of the, the work the, the the prologue chad put, was working on before we got to chapter one if you will but but now it's but now all that stuff we had in the can has been used up and now we're back to record another 15 no we're only kidding oh uh, that's right um yeah, well, I'll I'll get to uh, <laughs> how that'll affect things later on. But uh, so yeah, this is the first time you and I have recorded this particular show since its launch. What do you think of uh, how it's turned out so far? I think you're doing a very very good job. 
I'm also very glad from the listener's point of view that at least it's it is biweekly because if you tried to do this thing weekly, <laughs> yeah, or the three hours plus weekly, thank would be, you. It, people would be behind and it'd be hard to catch up and they might feel overwhelmed. So I, so I think the format leads itself to at least it makes more sense to have longer episodes because then people technically have almost like two weeks to be able to, or just go at a more leisurely pace and not really fall behind. But you see, a lot of guys, <laughs> everybody in the feedback saying, making jokes about it being a three hour <laughs> episode. <laughs> There's a reason you have two weeks to listen to it. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff to get through, so yeah, it makes true. sense. I mean, you don't you don't want to you don't want to shortchange the material unless you absolutely have to, which we're probably going to do tonight. But that's a, but that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. We'll go ahead and get right into it. Uh, what's uh, what's happening in Green Lantern this time around? Well, when we lo- when we last discussed this story <laughs> or this ongoing arc, if you will, Hal and uh. Hal and Carol Ferris, Star Sapphire, are throwing down, and Hal was getting his ass pretty much kicked. And bad things were about to happen to Hal, and that's kind of where we left off. And, of course, because they leave you with such a nice cliffhanger like that, where do we begin with Jon Stewart testifying in front of Congress? (laughs) Uh, Because we know that's just such a natural segue, which I'm sure is part of the charm that you're seeing. Even the first splash page is like, what is going on here? (laughs) It's like, this has nothing to do with where we left off. And I remember that even though I hadn't done this in like five months. <laughs> uh, so the, let's do the creative team. The actual the actual story is entitled, I, the jury. James Owsley is the writer. Gil Kane, legendary Gil Kane, is the penciler. Dom, Don Simpson, inker. Albert de Guzman, letters. Uh, Anthony Tallon, colored and edited by Chad's own Denny O'Neill. Mm-hmm. So, like I like I kind of alluded to, John Stewart is take is raising his right hand and taking the oath, pretty much not the Greenland oath, <laughs> uh, basically swearing you know to tell the truth, blah 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 blah. Uh, and they're asking him, state state your name for the record. And he goes, of course, it's John Stewart. Are you known by any other name? And he goes, well, yeah, I'm also known as Green Lantern. <laughs> I like the way he throw he the way he throws that out there. And basically, what we what we kind of get early on is he that somehow Green Green Lantern is being blamed for. Hey, this is a shocker. Green Lantern is being blamed for all this destruction of what happened at Coast City and everything because of the throwdown with Star Sapphire. And of course, because obviously people have, which is kind of a, a weird thing to say in 2016 America, let alone when this was written. It's like people are. Co- People must be colorblind because they were confusing Hal Jordan Green Lantern with John Stewart Green Lantern. <laughs> they couldn't tell the difference between the two. So basically, the fight between Green Lantern, Hal, and Carol was more or less being – and the damage from that fight, collateral damage, was all being dumped on John Stewart's doorstep. So John kind of like makes it clear that, hey, you know, the person who's really responsible for all the damage was, you know, was, uh, was Star Sapphire, that – uh. You know, she, you know, she's a, she, you know, she killed my, she killed my wife. You know, I, I just buried her several weeks ago. You know, it's like, you're not looking for me. You're looking for the other guy, the white guy. <laughs> Subtle. When you're reading the story, it kind of, make, on one level, it makes you cringe, but, but it also makes you realize, God, because of political correctness, how difficult, just for that sake alone, you couldn't do a story like that now. Not necessarily because of how 100% the material is inappropriate, just the fact that, 
too many hot potatoes right off right off the bat. If we try. Oh, we'll we'll get to more ways you can't tell this story today. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we wouldn't want to either. <laughs> uh, so you know, so John continue you know continues it continues to explain that you know it's kind of like yeah, I, I was never chosen really to be a Green Lantern. I was always the standby when you know, when more or less the other the other Green Lantern Hal, who he's not naming, that uh. You know, whenever he pretty much got was in, in trouble or incapacitated, then the ring would find me. And but you know, pr- pretty much, you know, I'm just I'm just a backup. You're talking to the wrong guy. Yada yada. At this point, while John's talking to Congress, first, lo and behold, the Green Lantern ring shows up. <laughs> How's the Green Lantern ring? And John's going, "Oh, this is not good." And you know, John, while John's trying to figure out the mystery of the power ring. All of a sudden, they, you know, the, the committee announces, uh, oh, we, we're prepared to produce a witness who will testify to basically as to your culpability in all this. You know, that claiming her penthouse was destroyed by a Green Lantern, a black guy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, of course, the witness that comes in is Carol Ferris. And, of course, John Stewart takes one look at her and thinks of Cat Matui, and he starts losing it. He puts that Green Lantern ring on his face. On his face. That would be a good one. <laughs> but um, um, he, gets, he has an angry look on his face, but he still puts the ring on his finger like he should. He aims the ring at Carol. He pretty much creates, like, a bubble around her head so she can't breathe. And he starts changing into his Green Lantern uniform as all this goes on. Everybody's saying, oh, you, you, Mr. Stewart, stop, stop. It's like a... It's like, uh, no way, no way, Senator. It's like, uh, I'm going to take care of this. You know, she puts on a good act, you know, but I'm not cutting off her oxygen. I'm not going to kill her. Well, then, of course, she slumps on the floor and everybody says, she's dead. <laughs> and John's like, I, I couldn't have killed her. That was, an, or, or did I do it? Like, was I like so lost in the moment and full of rage? You know, did I just kind of, so while John's trying to, trying to get his head straight, you know, he, he, he fly, he flies off. And of course, he arrives back in Coast City, just like that. You know, he, he finds the power battery there, and, and he's about to he's about to recharge. And all of a sudden, he hears Carol Ferris's you know Star Sapphire's voice, kind of like kind of taunting him, making sure and trying to make make it clear that oh you know that Hal's dead. You know, I I, I killed him. All this stuff, and you know, John's trying to you know John's trying to go through this and process all this. And you know he sees an he sees an, in, an innocent kid pretty much in trouble under, under the building that's now collapsed thanks to Star Sapphire's attack, uh, which is weird. John, which is kind of like a weird segue to all this because he's just thinking that he's he's just got Cap Matui on the brain. So now so now he goes all the way back to Washington D.C. to check out <laughs> to check out Carol Ferris's supposed body, and he goes and he starts talking to her. It's like a blasted woman. Why kill innocents if it's me you want? And of course at this moment her quote unquote corpse comes back to life and goes just to see the look on your face john you know the guardians took the zam the zamorans my people away and someone's got to pay for that and john tries to point out you know the zamorans aren't your people they just kind of randomly picked you to be queen you're just a stand-in for the real thing which of course carol throws back in his face pointing out that well pretty much that's exactly what you are aren't you and she just laughs in his face uh, John continues his frequent flyer miles between Washington and Coast City because now he's back at Coast City at Cat Matui's grave and he's kind of going like, uh, Hal's not responsible for your death. I just kind of, he was just a handy guy for me to blame. It's like, it's like, I just, you know, I just, 
I, he's just trying to make a make process what he should do and everything. And then all of a sudden we the lights shine on John and it's like, John Stewart, you're under arrest. You know, elsewhere, <laughs> the only time we get to see Hal Jordan in this entire story, uh, um, Gal, find, we'll find out this is uh, what Galgotha, but pretty much Hal Jordan is chained. He's, he's pretty much powerless. He was beaten by Star Sapphire and, you know, Hal says Hal needs help badly. He's not going to get it. Next, Galgotha. Or Galgotha. Either way. I, I think it's Golgotha. Is it? That could be Golgotha. It uh, could be Golgotha. Isn't Golgotha the... What's it? The, that's, the, that's the hill that Christ was crucified on, right? It could be. I, I think, if I'm remembering my Bible, right? Unless I'm, I could be completely off base there. Um, let's see. So, oh, God, where to start? Um, you were correct. Okay. All right. That, that's what I'm remembering. All right. Um, so, uh, first things first. Uh, I just just because I mentioned it, she when she says the Guardians took the Zamorans away from her. Are we talking about Green Lantern uh, two hundred? Green Lantern Corps two hundred. I think so. I think that's what she's talking about. And they went off to make Whoopi for Millennium, or yeah. no, not Millennium. Yeah, for their yeah for their to make to, to make the kids that have still never really shown up. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah I th- I'm I can only assume that's what she's referring to. Okay, all right. So it makes sense even from the idea of almost like kind of like not just taking them away physically, but maybe also like convincing them to abandon her. That kind of taking away too. That so I think I think that would work on multiple levels. Hmm. I call bullshit uh, that the Senate uh, and such has no idea who Star Sapphire is. Yep, I agree. Like. Uh, she has had multiple battles with Hal Jordan in public and in a world of superheroes and supervillains, like as much as we try and, you know, this is, this is kind of where I get like, you can't tell this story today. It's possible that they don't know who star Sapphire is. Maybe, maybe because I'm thinking of this in the mindset of, you know, we follow celebrities in all over town uh, today. You know, we have entire, news networks devoted to where these famous people go, what they do. And so I, maybe we weren't quite as obsessed 20 years ago, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I don't know. But what I'm, it's just like, even there's, there's no way you could have told this now. Like I just, I don't know. I just feel like, uh, the whole race thing aside, like the fact that they don't know the difference between, uh, the the white Green Lantern and the black Green Lantern, like you can't tell, you know. First of all, John Stewart never wore a, a mask, and Hal does. <laughs> Not to mention their their skin tone difference. I just I don't know. I and this just because when you when you started reading, you're like, even though we've read it reread it five months ago, it doesn't make sense. When we when I started reading this, I was like, wait, hold up. <laughs> Am I missing an issue? Am I reading this out of order? Like, what the hell is going on? And now we know. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it, like this is a weekly comic book, and all of a sudden they made like a two or three week jump in the story. You, you I am completely lost in the first page or two to figure out what the hell just happened. And as far as the ring, like nobody comments on the ring. You can see some of these people seeing the ring fly in, but nobody says anything about it. Nope. They just visually react to it. 
what? <laughs> like, yeah, uh, uh, like somebody could have at least said, "So you are Green Lantern?" Or you know, something. <laughs> you know. Aha! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, sure, blame it on the white man, John Stewart. It was you. <laughs> <laughs> as far as, the the only interesting thing I see here is is um, the concept that. John is so emotionally distraught that his subconscious desire could potentially override what he thinks he's commanding the ring to do. That's yeah. an interesting concept. Yeah, it is. Which, which, yeah, it's. I mean, it's in general, it's an interesting concept when you're conscious, and it's kind of like the intro, kind of like the idea of probably why you're not supposed. Re- I, I, how you really ideally shouldn't be sleeping with the Green Lantern ring on either. <laughs> Because when you're dreaming, whatever you're concentrating on, the ring theoretically can manifest. Not even talking about kind of how how Oblivion kind of came up to be in Kyle's, you know, in the original run, but just the idea. <laughs> but just the just the idea that in general that sleeping with the ring on when you really think about it. I thought it was written somewhere. Maybe I'm just thinking of the Oblivion thing. The uh, idea. No, the, no, it was. Uh, yeah. It, it, back in the Silver Age, how uh, Hal accidentally turned Tom Kalmaku into a bird. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, so that's a real story. Yeah, yeah so it's the, it's the it's the idea of yes, not that where wearing the ring when you're sleeping could allow your subconscious to manifest itself and do things that you're not consciously aware of. And it's kind of it's kind of similar to this where if you're so if your emotions are so unkiltered that you, you may not you may consciously be not wanting this to happen, but your emotions might be driving or might be so strong that the ring's going to say, "Well, he really does want this to happen." So maybe regardless of Moving beyond the idea that you shouldn't be killing anyway, but with the Green Lantern ring, but still. But we we digress. The uh, the art goes wonky in a couple places, especially when John uh, all of a sudden becomes Plastic Man um, when he first re-enters his apartment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see his arms. Yeah, those arms. He's got he's got some serious rubbery arms. <laughs> all right, Plaz. Uh, <laughs> I thought you could only mimic things that uh, match your your uh, costume color scheme. <laughs> Something shifty's going on. Um, I don't know. I just I just feel like uh, it, it, it's such a weird spot to pick up the story. Like, do we? I didn't even understand why they were in the courtroom in the first place, other than the fact that there was a downed. You know, I, I mean, I, I guess it makes sense if you think about it for half a second. You know, there's a downed American military plane in a public city, you know, in, in, a, in a major metropolitan city. And, you know, we know who this guy is. Let's, you know, we'll have an inquisition. But <laughs> a, a couple of weeks is pretty uh, fast for the government to work on uh, having a hearing on something. Uh, <laughs> so speaking of unrealistic for today's day and age. Um I don't know. I just this isn't necessarily bad. It's just like I am so lost figuring out where the hell we went, how we got from last issue to this issue. And it's not like they don't explain it, you know, how you, everything everybody's had time to grieve and then, you know, and John is <clears throat> I don't know, magically over his issues with Hal? I don't mm. Well, I think 
I think when when you get to the end of the story, that's what you, that, I think you're supposed to just get that that was again that was pure heat of the moment. Him needing to find a right. scapegoat or a, a whipping boy for what happened to take somebody to blame it on. Uh, even if it was even if it was kind of like externalizing some of the guilt he felt that uh, maybe himself that you know if I you know if I had just had my still had my ring, this wouldn't have happened. Things like and a lot of different things. So I think that's a little. Based on John's character, I think it is realistic that he would probably come back, come back to reality on that level, relatively quickly. I yeah, I was I was totally confused by the first page, but by the time we got to the second page and you realized that they were basically having a hearing on the, what had happened at Coast City, then it, then I said, well, okay, then then I'm not so mu- I'm really not that confused. It's kind of a weird place to pick up, but let's just follow it through it, and then mm. <clears throat> you get to Hal at the end finally. <laughs> Um, another thing, I don't understand why we have this page where the, the building is exploded and the, 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 the kid dies. <clears throat> is it, is it really necessary to get John to the point that you see on the very next page? Could he not have been overwhelmed with his potential culpability and death in causing the death of carol ferris that he might go you know wait when you know go back and you know try and talk to the body of carol ferris or whatever i agree i don't think it wasn't the and he's certainly not not making the best use of time spending all this coast to coast traveling (laughs) yeah i just i this whole I, i i think i think there, there had to be a tipping point or something to some, some space between him quote unquote killing Carol and going back to talk to her after, you know, he, he, I guess he knows she's not dead or whatever. Uh, maybe he thinks it's just like a, a prop or something. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's unclear whether he thinks if this is actually her body or not. Because he looks surprised when she sits up and says something to him. Uh, But then he went there in the first place to talk to her. So I don't... Regardless, I I feel like this page is just weird. It's a weird plot point choice. To like... It's almost like... It's almost as pointless as the death of Katma to kill this kid. That's true. I don't know. It just this whole this whole part of this story just feels weird to me. Like there's just something not clicking for me in this, and I just I don't know if it's a, just a total change of tone. Maybe it's because we've now shifted a, our quote unquote main character into John, and I'm a little confused. I don't know what it is, but there's something different about the story in this particular issue that I'm just like, what in the hell is going on? And the little hot potato with the ring. I mean, it's like last time we saw the ring, Hal had it. Then it goes back to John in the hearing, and then at the end, right before they arrest him, which I didn't mention, right before they arrest him, conveniently enough, he kind of just throws the ring and goes, "Oh, go find Hal." <laughs> so, so John's pretty much like there without, without, you know, without the ring as they're arresting him. Convenient. <laughs> Remind me, and you can tell. I don't. I should know really because I, I, I like to do the the Green Lantern Green Arrow side of things. Didn't John have his own ring? 
At one point, he had his own ring. Yeah, I think. I'm yeah, I sure. thought I he had. So. His, I think so. Yeah. I thought he had his own <laughs> ring. I can't remember. I mean, obviously, he wasn't always Green Lantern. He didn't always use the ring. But I, I, I feel like this. Whenever Hal is out of commission, his ring, Hal's ring, goes to John. I, that was that didn't even ring any bells with me. Maybe I'm I read something a long time ago and just forgot it. I'm just so used to John having his own ring, but I feel like even in the beginning, John had his own ring. I don't know. Maybe maybe what I'm remembering is like a, you know, a duplicate ring that Hal made to help train John. Maybe that's what I'm remembering, and it was always this until John became you know sector partner like we get in the modern age with, um, with everything and all of that stuff. Or when Hal retired and John was GL during the what. Kyle Rayner run for a while. Yeah, then he had his, then he had his own ring. Yeah, I just I, for some reason I can't remember. I this this whole house ring goes to John thing was not clicking for me. I'm gonna have to do some more research into that. Or if you people out there listening know more about this off the top of your head than I do, uh, go ahead and write in. <laughs> Always use more feedback. Everybody's talking about Wild Dog. Nobody's talking about Green Lantern. <laughs> really. <laughs> You keep listening, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> then maybe, then maybe we should just just stop this now, Chad. Because <laughs> it is the next story. We might as well just give the people what they want, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. All right. Do you have anything else to say about this story before we give them exactly what they're looking for? Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I, I kind of think I, I don't necessarily think the next, the next issue we're going to cover is, is any better than this one, though. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go into uh, Wild Dog, where can people find you across the net? They can find me across the net, of course, Lant at where well, they can find you too at, on occasion. <laughs> Lant- uh, LanternCast.com and LanternCast at gmail.com. Also on Facebook. Uh, you can find us. Use hashtag GLCast. You can find us pretty much almost anywhere. But, you know, LanternCast, you can find us on Facebook. Also, LanternCast founder Jim Ford and I do our toy podcast. Well, I would say it's Jim's, Jim's baby for the most part. We're, we're co-hosts, but I but I'd say Jim is the found, is is a number one there. That's the greatest toy podcast. So you can find us at greatesttoypodcast.com, and I believe it's the same greatesttoypodcast at gmail.com. So we're up to episode twenty six in that. So that's kind of that's kind of booking. So I I think I think that's those are the main places to find us. All right, guys, we are going to take a quick promotional break. uh, And when we come back, we will discuss some more Wild Dog. Boo. (laughs) My name is Chad Bokelman. For five years, listeners were stuck with a mediocre show. Now we will fulfill Uh, our listeners' expectations to use the time and topics left to us and bring down those who are threatening to overtake us. To do this... We must become someone else. We must become really? something else. Really? What? <laughs> this, this, this is your this is your original attempt? <laughs> yeah, dude. At a promo? Yeah. I think you're kind of confusing what this show's about, Chad. <sighs> All right, I got another one. I got another one. All right. Okay, maybe 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 your second attempt would be a little more fresh and original. <clears throat> okay. Okay. All right. All right. <clears throat> I'm hoping. Yeah. <clears throat> My name is Barry Allen, and I'm the fastest man alive. When I was a child, I saw my mother killed by something impossible. 
My father went to prison for her murder. And wait, wait, what? Wait, okay. Stop, stop, stop. Time out. What? <laughs> this is the Lantern cast. We're supposed to be talking about Green Lantern. Not necessarily new material because most people don't like the books these days, but the point still is we're supposed to be talking about Green Lantern. Yeah, I guess you're right. And I, I, I guess the old show wasn't really mediocre. I just thought it'd be funny. You did your best, Chad. That, that, that's what's so tragic. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't you tell them what the show really is about? It's about Green Lantern. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. Well, there's well, there's the comics. There's well, well, let's run down some things. We've we've done what? We've done commentaries. We've done yes. We we've done movie commentaries. We've done ring our ring cyclopedia stuff, reviewing you know props and rings and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Movie reviews. We do we do stuff like that. Too. Yeah, yeah. We've we commented uh, done running commentary on uh, on uh, issues per month. We've done random issue reviews, uh, old stuff and new. Lots of old stuff recently. Even we've even had interviews. Uh, both in the old iteration of the show and the new iteration of the show with me and Mark. So uh, tons of tons of stuff here over at the Lantern Cast for you guys to listen to. It's not just one – we're not a one-trick pony over here. Stole my line. You was just going to say that. No, we have a pretty broad base of topics and things that we do, and we think – I think we have a little bit for everybody. So we certainly would appreciate everybody – coming to check us out and we think you won't be disappointed yeah we, you can find us at lanterncast.com we're also on uh, iTunes and Stitcher so search for lanterncast and you can find us easily there and if they want to contact us they're more than welcome to do so Mark you got that information right you always do <laughs> lanterncast at gmail.com <laughs> lanterncast at gmail.com and we even have a voicemail line guess guess what it's 708 lantern <laughs> awesome and we're on Facebook and Twitter so Find the Lantern Cast in whatever way suits you best, but definitely give us a listen either on our website, on iTunes, or on Stitcher. We're always here for you guys, and I guess what? Closing line, light the lantern? <laughs> keep, keep, keep the emerald flame burning. All right. Awesome. All right, guys. We are back from break. Uh, so 604 continues, and since uh, Green Lantern is wrapped up, we are moving on to Wild Dog, and because we're talking Wild Dog... We are talking with Wild Dog expert Jay Jones. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> you seem I to, own it. You seem to have embraced the role since last we I, spoke. I have, yeah. Since uh, since we started on this little adventure, I actually dug out the old original um, four-issue miniseries and started reading it, and uh, it's not bad. Um, I think that there is there's definitely some merit there. So I'm the Wild Dog guy. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into the the story itself, I have to ask. Uh, you know, we we got a comment on it. This issue of Action Comics Weekly six hundred four features a the first Wild Dog cover for the series. Yes, absolutely. Well, what do you think By, of the cover? Uh, I think that it is uh, some of Klaus Jensen's most. Uh, impressive work of all the covers I've seen by him, which is uh, this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's just right before uh, we began this, I was reading up on Klaus, Klaus Jansen. Uh, the cover is, it's, it's great. It's, uh, it's action. It's wild dog. Finally, we're going to get to, you know, get the old uh, hockey mask himself out there and uh, not just, uh, you know, doing his, um, Oh, what is the word? His, uh, you know, spy stuff. Um, I completely drew a blank, and now I sound like a moron. We have 
Wild Dog uh, doing his superhero sets that we have, and not not uh, Jack Wheeler uh, sneaking around uh, spying on people. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, yeah, I think it's I think it's okay. Um, I don't know. I think I think the wide-eyed look for Wild Dog behind his mask looks a little odd. And it took me a minute to figure out that these were papers all over the air instead of, like, shards of glass or something. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out what, where the glass is from, what's going on. And is that supposed... Is I'm assuming that's supposed to be a skyscraper behind them? Or is that a bot? Like, what is that? I don't know. I know at first glance I thought it was a filing cabinet, but it's too big for that, isn't it? So maybe it is a... A big old uh, skyscraper. But th- see, but then that doesn't make sense because of the perspective. When you look at that one guy in the, the in the background firing his gun, he's clearly behind it. So, yeah. like, like, what is this supposed to be? Well, why'd you make me look too close at it? Now <laughs> I see it's a hot mess. <laughs> hey, man, we, our job is to uh, you know look at these critically. You gotta you gotta make sure that uh, they stand the, the the test of scrutiny. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> hey, dude in the background who's diving for his life and looks terrified. Uh-huh. Does he have too many fingers? One, uh, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> yep. he's, yeah, he's got a he's got a handful there, doesn't he? I mean, that's not a handful. He's uh he's got like one to two too many fingers on well, that hand. Technically, it's a handful. It's technically a handful. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless of the amount of fingers, it's technically a handful of fingers. <laughs> uh, so he's scared. Wild dog scared. Uh, the guys are uh, shooting at the filing cabinet and <laughs> making a big old mess. Uh, oh, Klaus, you let me down. <laughs> I, it was probably my fault. <laughs> I made you look at it too closely. Yeah, you do that to me, don't you? <laughs> All right. Well. I got other than the cover. I got no other preamble, man. So go ahead, man. Take it. Uh, take it away. Are we talking? Are we going to go with the showdown for Wild Dog as the title, or Moral Stand? What are we going to call it? Uh, unleashed. Unleashed. Yeah. <laughs> unleashed. Well, hang on a second. Um, I have the digital copy here, so let me turn my monitor sideways so I can read the credits. Uh, we've got Chapter Four, Unleashed. Moral Stand, Chapter Four, Unleashed, with uh, writer co-creators. Max Collins and Terry Beatty on uh, pencils and writing. John Nyberg is the inker. Colorist is Michelle Wolfman. Uh, letterer, of course, the late great Gaspar. And Mike Gold is editor of this uh, issue or story or whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> uh, so we open up in the back room of the Time Machine comic shop which I tried to look up to see if it was a real place, and uh, it isn't now. I don't know if it was then. Uh, two kids are trying to convince the owner to publish their homemade comic, and outside, the uh, League of uh, Morality members are spraying their symbol on the sidewalk, and they throw a bomb into the store. All right, so Jack reports to Andy that uh, that he's in with the... Is the League of Morality? I don't remember now. It's the... the uh, the League of Morality or the Legion of, of Morality. I think it's a Legion. In my notes, yeah, in my notes I just put L-O-M. So let's just call him Loam. Um, so Andy informs him of the night's casualties. The comic, the comic shop owner is dead, and the two kids are in the ICU. And uh, also I wonder if those two kids are Max Collins and Terry Beatty. That would be cool if it was, but, uh, you know, who knows. 
Lou, Andy, and Susan discover the Loam's symbol on the sidewalk. Uh, later that night, Andy suggests to Jack that it's time for Wild Dog to be unleashed. So, uh, no end to the dog puns. Um, well, just the one. <laughs> no, nah, it's ongoing, though, in the whole the yeah. miniseries and the series. It never ends. Um, much later that night, the Loam hijacks a delivery truck filled with adult magazines. Uh, they knock out the driver and set out to torch the truck when Wild Dog appears on the scene. Finally, Wild Dog reappears in this Wild Dog series. Uh, a lone member throws a Molotov at Wild Dog, who catches it and throws it back, torching the assailant because Wild Dog is a badass. The other lone members open fire on Wild Dog, who goes down. And that's that's it. That's the end of this one. But... Uh, Lots of great uh, wild doggy action in the last couple of pages there. Uh, a little <laughs> bit better on the backgrounds. Okay, there's... Yeah, it's still in places. It's still mm-hmm. not entirely there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, a little bit better. Um, unfortunately, that... <laughs> well, we'll get there. Um, now, first question. It says it's night. And it's you know it's after the store the comic book store has closed. Right. Um, the moon's already up, according to this panel where these uh, lone members are standing outside. So the ki- and it's clearly dark. So what are these kids doing hanging out after hours? I mean, it'd be one thing if they were like, you know, eighteen, nineteen, you know, early twenties or something. But these are very clearly like. I don't know. What do you what would you how old would you say they are? Like oh, these are yeah, these are kid kids. Yeah. These are I'd say thirteen would be pushing it. They're probably eleven, ten years old. I don't know. I'm sure parents have no problem letting their kids go to the comic book store. It's just staying after hours in the comic book store with alone with the owner after I don't know. It just seems yeah. it, it just seems sketch. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would maybe at my son at that age, I'd be okay with it, depending on who, you know, was running the shop. But this guy, I mean, <laughs> look at this guy. Don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> I have to. I mean, <laughs> this is this is the most child molestery guy I've, I've seen. I mean, I thought that, uh, you know, the leader of the uh, league of whatever you call it was uh, was creepy looking. But this poor innocent man who gets killed. Looks really, really, really creepy. Um, I don't think it was clear to me that the kids were the one who wrote this comic. Uh, like I, was, I get the, I, I almost got the feeling when I first first read it that they were, it could have been the other way around. Like he wrote the comic, wrote and drew the comic, and he was getting the kids' feedback on it. Yeah, like it's it's a poss- like you know it's a great idea for a comic book, Bob. You know, like, you know, they're letting him know, hey, it's a good idea. And he's like, I don't know, maybe it's missing, like, he could use a gimmick, you know. And, and he goes, the other one goes, they got a cyborg dog. And I don't know if that was, like, him piping in and, you know, telling Bob what's going on in the comic. Or just be like, he was piping in and be like, but they have a cyborg dog. Mm. <laughs> like, it's a good idea. Like, I feel like that scene could go either way. I suppose so. I guess when I read it, I always assumed that these two kids had had written this uh, comic book. I never thought that maybe the uh, the creepy looking guy was the one who actually did it. Um, I guess yeah. Either way, it could go either way. I'd like to believe it's the kids, though. 
they came up with uh, mutant commie groundhogs from Uranus. Uranus. Which I yeah, Uranus. I'd love to read that by the way. I would love to get a copy of Mutant Commie Groundhogs from Uranus. <laughs> oh man. Um nice job on the uh the panel divider when somebody's on the uh, phone. Oh yeah, classic. Cla- it, it's... Classic cord phone yep. <laughs> panel divider. Nice. <laughs> um I don't know. I the, the reporter continues to be useless. Absolutely. I don't see a mic in her hand or uh No no, she's on the scene. Well the cameraman's there. Yeah. So at least they're getting some footage, but you know, she's just gonna let the, the footage stay by itself. She's not gonna add anything to it. Uh, she'll put that in post. <laughs> Here comes Lu- your so friend close. Lieutenant Flint. You can ask him. No, you can. <laughs> but and then she asks, but why the comic shop? <laughs> Again, not on camera. <laughs> nope. What in the hell is she doing on the scene without getting information for her story to put on camera? <laughs> just, ah. Uh, uh. um, yeah, just continues to be a completely worthless reporter. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and, and just looking at the panel alone where, they're, where they've discovered the, uh, the, the logo sprayed painted on the ground there, um, she looks like, I mean, I know clearly they're talking about it, but she has this this look on her face like she doesn't even notice it's there. Uh, and I want to believe that because she's just such a lousy reporter. <laughs> you know, Wild Dog was her big chance. It was her big story in the in the miniseries. You know, he was going to take her places. And he, she took her right back to the Quad Cities where she's still – it's because she's a bad reporter. That's all there is to it. She's just really bad. I like how – I like how Jack Wheeler clearly owns and operates this truck and pulls up onto the scene with, with, this, with this truck. And now I, I, I see the license plate says Rover. Like, I, I've got a feeling like it's almost like a – what was the Green Hornet movie? Like, I don't know if it was even the Green Hornet movie when this happened or if it may, may have been thinking of Men in Black or something. But, like – when he goes into action, his real license plate flips away, and, and the rover one flips into place. <laughs> it just, <laughs> yeah, it uh, it probably because uh, you know it's. I mean, if it's a, if it's a legal plate, then it, you know, if it's like a vanity plate issued by the state of Illinois or Iowa or whatever, they'd pretty easily be able to find out who Wild Dog is. Yeah, and it's not like it's like a generic kind of car. It's it's it's. it's... <laughs> This Jeep truck, uh, which I forgot was even a thing. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, it's got it a was. it's got a roll bar on the back and the big lights on. The, like, what the what is going on? He just yeah. he just hops into the car. Like, he, I mean, I'm, I'm not expecting Wild Dog to have like a Batmobile or anything, but I'm 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 expecting him to have some some sort of common sense. Like when he's out there mowing people down. To have a less distinguishable car, I guess. I mean, I, I get with like the Batmobile, like the whole point is yeah. you recognize, oh, Batman's here. But like, if if the police are chasing you down, and you're just some sort of dude mowing people down, it it doesn't make sense to drive a car that can be easily called out on the radio. Hey, keep an eye out for a you know late model, blah 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. A big red Jeep truck. <laughs> Rover, yeah, it's, uh, I never really thought about it before, but, you know, thank you. Thank you for that. You're and, welcome. <laughs> uh, that will be appearing in uh, upcoming episodes of uh, my own little uh, wild pod. 
uh, I'm sure. Which is the first time you can yourself mention that uh, podcast. I played the promo for you last episode, but yeah. uh, I you you want to tell people what's what's going on or what, before we do that because I'm sure you'll mention it um, uh, and where people can find you across the internet. What else do you want to say about this particular story? Oh, the, this uh, okay. Page seven, the bottom when uh, the Molotov is thro- thrown at Wild Dog. And he catches it without dropping his gun, and the next page just flings it right back at that dude. That is awesome. I mean, I don't care if you don't like the art. I don't care if you don't like the character. That is badass. He grabs the Molotov and throws it right back to that dude, and that is Wild Dog. That's awesome. That's true. That's true. Um, first time we've seen these dudes wearing any sort of costume, is that correct? Uh, yes. You remember the, the last panel of the last issue, we saw them getting their little dynamite thing ready for the comic book store. And, oh, uh, the gloved you, hand. Yeah, you had uh, supposed that maybe it was a woman because of the it looked like dish gloves yeah. and you are being extremely sexist. Yes, yes, I remember that. <laughs> um, uh, one of the many times I probably <laughs> come across that way. <laughs> yeah, well, you're from Texas, so it's okay. Um, I think... <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I just thought it would be funny to say. Um, but no, yeah, it was these guys, and they're you know this is the first time we've seen them in any sort of costume, and they are, you know, they they look like I don't know. They look like Cobra rejects maybe from GI Joe, uh, with uh, de- with black glitch gloves and uh, goggles and incomplete Ghostbuster symbols on their shirts. Um, but you know they're they're. They're not above a little accessorization. The, you know, one of them's got the nice uh, purple coat on, purple jacket on, to you know just complete the look. That's that's how you know he's in charge, I guess. He's wearing the purple coat. <clears throat> I don't know the the, the Cobra rejects. I think are have more uh, more in common with uh, the next story, <laughs> Secret Six Mockingbird. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. Well, I mean, well, not that he shows up in the store, but I'm not even gonna. Uh, why bleed one into the other? Yeah, let's not. I mean, it's it's enough with just Wild Dog, you know. This is Wild Dog's moment. It is, and he doesn't get many, so let's let him have it. <laughs> this is probably the the best thing that he's gonna do in this whole run of Action Comics Weekly is with this Molotov. I just want everyone to remember, this was this was the peak. <laughs> Right here. No matter how shitty this story gets, guys, remember that one time he caught a Molotov cocktail and threw it right oh, back at the dude. He'll be like, uh, uh, he'll be like, um, oh god, who was it in uh, Dazed and Confused that was just reliving his high school glories well after? Was it Dazed and Confused? I, I don't know, but you know, it's that. Yeah, yeah. Just that you know. All yeah, right, maybe. All right, all right. <laughs> I may be old and, and flabby now, but remember that time I caught that Molotov cocktail, <laughs> threw it right back at that Cobra reject? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I love about these high school girls. I get older, <laughs> they stay the same age. <laughs> you just you just gave me the uh-oh feeling. <laughs> oh, come on. Daisy, Matthew McConaughey is from here. He goes to all the Texas Longhorn games for the most part. <laughs> so... I don't know. I feel like I can give him a little bit of a shout out slash imitation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very <laughs> underrated. He's a great actor, actually. Uh, unfortunately, did a lot of uh, romantic comedies, but uh, 
can hold his own and has some really great uh, roles, you know. In all seriousness, I do like Matthew McConaughey. Speaking he of, play Wild Dog, you know. I was just about to go there. You beat me to the punch. <laughs> I saw where you were going. I just had to I jump. Was, I was trying to tie it in so hard, so I didn't feel like we went off on a tangent. But you stole it from me. <laughs> oh, my wife! Uh, my wife used to work with a woman who referred to him as Matthew McConaughey. Hey, God. <laughs> yeah. All right. So enough about Matthew McConaughey. And Wild Dog. <laughs> All right. Well, where can... Let's talk about me. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, before we move on to the next segment, where can people find you across the net? Well, the best place to find me is uh, a tribute to the Action Comics Weekly podcast. <laughs> I'm the Wild Dog guy. There was someone uh, recently who made a claim and said, hey, if you want me to come and talk about Wild Dog, I'll do it. Who was that? Uh, Martin Gray, I think. Martin Gray, I yeah, think it might have been. I think it was. I think it was. So, uh, not going to happen, Martin Gray. I don't know. At least, at least, at least for this story arc, no. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you'll, you'll at least get a, sto- a full story arc out of this. Yeah, had a feeling. You know, we'll, we'll let other people. You know, we'll let other people take it over. Um, I am the co-host of the Silver and Gold podcast, which can be found at sngpod.com. Uh, that is where my buddy Roy and I talk about Captain Adam and Booster Gold. Uh, usually comes out monthly. Uh, he also does this little DC versus Marvel show where he pits a random DC character versus a random Marvel character and makes me be part of it. And coming up on September 17th, uh, there is a new podcast on DC called Wild Pod, a wild dog podcast in which I will be going over the original um, the original miniseries and the special that came out after this run of Action Comics Weekly, and I will touch on uh, other appearances of him in other media and in uh, other comics, which wasn't much. And uh, that's, that's it, Wild Pod. It's going to be a really awesome podcast, and everyone is going to love it because everyone loves Wild Dog. It's clearly the breakout uh, star segment of this entire show. It's all anybody it can talk about is Wild Dog. It's the damnedest thing. I don't <laughs> know why. Um, also, you can find me on the Twitter at uh, FKA Jason, and the Twitter handle for our uh, podcast is SNGPod4779. Awesome. Well, guys, as you as you listen to this, not as we record this, but as you listen to this, Wild Pod airs, well... As this as this episode is released, I don't know necessarily as you listen to this. As this episode is released, you will hear Wild Pod air tomorrow. Oh wow! So couldn't 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 be uh, better timed. <laughs> so, That's awesome, and I didn't I didn't even know that. That's just a complete coincidence. Well, I mean, if you can do basic math and figure out that this is a, a biweekly podcast, you would have been able to figure it out. I can't do basic math. Oh, that's the problem, then. <laughs> I'm from Georgia. <clears throat> well, I'm from Texas, so which one of us? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah. We can say it because we're from the South, guys. <laughs> right, we can. <laughs> All right, guys. At well, least we're not from Florida. <laughs> God, people from Florida. <laughs> Shaq. The uh, worst. <laughs> just the worst. Oh, every time I hear a story about, you know, Florida man has blah, 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 blah. It's like, uh, Shag, please let it be you this time. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jay. Well, thanks for coming on. 
Hashtag wild dog expert. And yeah, uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you next time, buddy. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Secret Six. Hey, who likes wild dog? Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? No, 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 no. I'm taking this podcast seriously. There's no way that song will appear anywhere in the show or even the commercials. I'm doing this right. I'm FKA Jason of the Silver and Gold Podcast. On September 17, 2016, a new show will be appearing on the SNG feed. Wild Pod, a Wild Dog Podcast is a miniseries covering the DC Comics character that is sort of their answer to the Punisher, Wild Dog. I'll be covering the original four-issue miniseries, the 1989 special, and various other appearances of Wild Dog. Watch for it at SNGPod.com or the Silver and Gold feed on iTunes and Stitcher. Vance, why do we even own that CD? Fresh off the heels of uh, Wild Dog um, picking up <laughs> this pace, I guess, maybe. <laughs> we uh, we go into Secret Six, and uh, if you could tell by the laugh already, we got Ben Avery back. What's hey. Up, Hi, Chad. How you doing? Uh, I'm all right. I'm all right. Welcome back, man. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, we're, we're talking we're talking Secret Six. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is – and I don't care. I told people I don't mind – peeling back the curtain every now and then this is the first time you and i have recorded you know as you've probably heard from some of the other segments this is the first time you and i have recorded since the podcast is released so what are buddy what do you think of what you're a part of (laughs) okay yeah you know i'm glad you asked that because i wasn't sure i wanted to bring this up somehow yeah i wasn't sure sure how you know 601 was interesting to me i felt like i was watching carson or letterman or something where like every time we go to a you know a commercial break and then you come back and now we're here with you know it's like the new host that you're you've got coming on and that was kind of cool all the different voices and stuff i like that um i have to say this though when we recorded those secret six episodes i had only read the secret six um stories and now i'm reading along with the podcast the other stuff and this is weird man this is a weird, <laughs> In weird what way? series. Well, first of all, the Superman stuff, I can't read right now. I, I just can't go two pages at a time. And so I'm either going to buy the graphic novel or I'm going to sit down and just have them all ready and open. So I'll just like pick up the one and, and just move it over to the side. And the other one's already open. So it's like I'm turning a page and reading a story. That's just bizarre. The Superman setup, the... Uh, the the comic stories in this i mean i'm i'm big i'm guessing this was all sold in comic shops i i don't know if i'm right about that but i don't see a barcode on any of the issues so i'm i'm thinking this is all direct market um i might be wrong it might it might have been newsstand you've got green lantern a green lantern story where he's hitting women you've got wild dog where people are you have serial killers killing people over pornography and censorship you've got um, Blackhawk who can't wear clothes you've got and who is you know as good as the storyline has been that guy is uh, 
misogynist to the core. I mean, he is like, what, what's going on the way he's, he's like, (laughs) anyway. Um, and then you have dead man, which is, you know, probably the most superhero-y of, of the, the bunch that the most like regular, um, newsstand comics code authority kind of thing. of the bunch. (laughs) Dead man is, you know, and it's just bizarre. It's, it's kind of, it's fun for me. Uh, and the way that Marvel comics presents for a while was really fun. And, uh, but it's, I, I, these characters are all characters other than Superman and green lantern, you know, the most all ages of the whole thing, (laughs) but it's even then, well, we're going to get into it with this issue right here, honestly, but what a weird series. And I'm delighted. I I have to say, I mean, I, I say it's weird. I like the weird, like this is the kind of weird that I'm like, what a, what a wonderful little treasure I would have never pe- picked up other than, oh, this podcast is coming up and I'm seeing the thread, you know, and wow, that sounds really interesting to me. And and now as I'm reading it, I'm just thinking this is really I wouldn't have bought it on the on the news because I would have been afraid of missing an issue. But now I'm really enjoying reading it and then listening to all the the host, Professor Allen um, and his you know light touch that he has with his gentle professorly humor and. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just been uh, it's been a fun podcast and a fun comic to read along with it. So yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. guys, people out there listening, Action Comics Weekly, I guarantee you, you're gonna find at least like five or six issues of the series in a back issue bin, like in dollar bins or quarter bins or whatever. They're all that's over the where place. I got them. <laughs> They're all yeah. over the place. I have the entire series. Uh, and, and it took me a little while to find certain issues because I didn't really bother to, uh, resorting to like eBay or anything like that. I was just kind of whatever I could find at comic shops, just kind of checking the replenished stock and stuff. But these are these are nice, hearty little things, and it's a nice sampling of comics, right? I mean, yes, it's yes. as far as genre, as far as tone. Like, just you wait, Ben. <laughs> like once uh-huh. the 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 one that I think is craziest, and and you might think I. It's 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 dead man, like like as much as these individual stories have their own tone, dead man changes tones like five times in five issues. It's crazy. We go we go from what we started with to what we see in a in the in the next episode in six oh five. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> it's it's so weird <laughs> the way it does it. But speaking of so secret six, I. I've been enjoying it. So updating people kind of on things. I had said, you know, I didn't want to read too far ahead. And that's still true. As of as of this this recording, I've only read up to 605 when it comes to Secret Six. However, I since the last time you and I recorded, I now own Secret Six number one and number two of the okay. original series. I have not yet read them. I'm trying to figure out when I want to read them. I do want to read them at some point during this podcast. Um, and at some point, maybe during the first story arc-ish, uh, to kind of get some idea. But I, I do now have the first the first two issues. That's how much I like this story so far. I may or may not have a tab on my browser open right now to eBay uh, with the Secret Six search that I was doing while I was waiting. Um, it, I didn't. I'm, I haven't bid on anything because that the the bid prices plus shipping just makes it like ah, I'm not going to pay that for for that it, those two issues. <laughs> but you know what really intrigues me? It's the same reason is uh, the Brave and the Bold issues that those two 
appear in mm-hmm. because it the one that they are in is a 100 page giant and it has like six different stories in there and i'm in that sounds like fun you know and 100 pages of comics even though some of them are probably ads sure because i think that might have been I, I know there was a time where you would get 100 pages but it literally is just 100 you know printed pages 50 sheets of paper kind of thing but yeah it i'm i'm intrigued enough that i really want to know what's going on with with this original series and how did mockingbird fit into that and was mockingbird giving them the same kind of missions and using the same kind of manipulation tactics right um I, i'm 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 very curious um not enough to pay you know 50 dollars for a full run but uh, i'm i'm curious i really want to see so all right yeah. you want to get into it yeah, let's get into it, man. Right. Let's let's get into this. Uh, so this is issue six hundred four. Secret Six is haunts of the very rich. That's what the the story is called, and it's um, written by Martin Pasco. Uh, Dan Spiegel is art. It looks like he's pencils and inks because that's the only artist that they um, that they credit. Letters are by uh, Carrie Spiegel, and colors by Car- Carl Gafford. And Dick Giordano is the editor. And so here's what's happening. Um, and I'm going to try and I'm I'm not sure, you know, I, one of the first things I learned as I was writing comics is I had a the editor at Marvel when I was doing the Hedge Knight. It's like, did you name you know, did you do name check? And I was like, yeah, sure, I can do that. And so I, I ran a spell check on all the names. He's like, no, 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 that's not what I meant at all. Do you did you make sure each issue introduces the character with with names? And so I'm going to kind of do that with my my uh, synopsis here. I want to make sure we introduce all the characters and there's a lot of characters to introduce. So, uh, and to keep track of not as many as there was in that first story, but there's still quite a few people here. So same day as last issue. And this is the same mission. This is them actually doing the mission. Uh, the team has just delivered some of them, some of themselves into Elvis Brockman's silver spoons toy room by packing themselves into giant a giant stereo system box that's being delivered. LaDonna Jamil, who's a former actress who lost her voice and now has a voice enhancement, and Mitch Hoberman, former Hollywood special effects artist whose crippled hands uh, have been rendered uh, usable now by power gloves, stay behind while Tony Mantegna, their hearing-enhanced communications guy posing as a stereo installation man, is leaving. LaDonna and Mitch all hide in the, both hide in the closet waiting for Elvis to come. He's going to, they're going to do some things eight hours later. <laughs> but they're in the closet for a long time. Speaking of long time, uh, Vic Summers, who had been bl- blinded in Vietnam and now has super electric eyes, and Olympic track star Luke McKendrick, who is uh, paraplegic with super powered legs have been literally hanging under a truck for at least four hours based on dialogue and possibly nine hours based on captioning from the last issue in this. They have finally arrived at Technodyne's acid rain installation plant where they are they take out the security system. Tony takes his place now as communication coordinator and Maria... Vadugo does computer stuff. Maria is a computer math whiz whose brain was affected by a rare form of epilepsy and now has a skull cap that fixes it. And everyone is in place. And it's time for the team to go into action. Part one of the plan. Elvis, that 12-year-old wonder kid who runs Technodyne, is watching a scary R-rated movie, Halloween Nightmare Part 4. Suddenly, Clarence the Handyman, a child punisher, not 
he's not a child. He punishes children. This is, again, trying to pick this up from the dialogue. Comes out of his closet, out of Elvis's fashion, out of him. Clarence's scare routine consists of a morphing face and tearing his head right off in front of Elvis, who passes out with classic eyeball rolling into the back of his head. LaDonna played the part of Clarence, while Mitch created the suit and its transformation and decapitation ability. Part two of the plan, Vic and Luke find evidence of Technodyne's wrongdoing in their research and development lab. They plant bombs and then find a laser that was... This, there was all the acid rain before that the company had created that was actually killing people. Well, here's how it happened. There was a laser that was used to superheat the air under clouds and create rain. And then there was a high-tech helicopter crop duster thing that would go up and actually seed the rain with dangerous, evil, deadly chemicals. And how they created this acid rain. The question is why, you know, but uh, so while LaDonna and Mitch seem to do what all that they needed to do without a hitch. Vic and Luke, who've been fighting their way through the plant, are now surrounded. And by the way, do you remember the old Secret Six? We also get two panels of them because the son of Carlo Dorenzi got news of a plane crash earlier that week, and he's questioned about it by some policemen. So that's it. That's our, that's our cliffhanger is we got two men surrounded and the police are asking about uh, basically they're saying this plane might have had your father in it. He may, may, may or may not have survived, but probably didn't. So that's our story. Uh, I like it. I think, I think uh, next episode I'll go into it a little bit more, but I will say now just for the sake of it, this might be my favorite story in terms of art. Oh really? Yeah. It's, it's, it's highly detailed. Um, it it feels very. I mean, it's it like we've said before in pre, prior episodes. It feels very like sixty sixties, you know, whatever. I mean, it, it is Dan Spiegel doing the art, and that's that's why. And I really like it when artists ink themselves, uh, for the most part, just because. And I've I've noticed it as I've been re-listening to some of these uh, some of these episodes is I. Usually when I have a problem with art, it's when the inker is doing too much. And I feel like Dan knows exactly... He obviously knows exactly what he's trying to accomplish and isn't really inking quite as heavily. There's so much detail in these little things. I like it. There, uh, Yeah, I... For me, it does the job well. <laughs> it's like if this book here is... If Action, Action Comics Weekly is a band, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got the stars of the band. Secret Six is the bass player. You know, he's there, he's doing the job, and if he wasn't doing well, you'd know. But you don't really notice, for me anyway, it just isn't that noticeable. Um, when I take a look at it and really look at it, there's one thing I really like, and that's the emotion on the faces. Yes, 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 yes. The, the emotion on the faces do does draw me in. But, and I think I said this before, you know, all the anatomy, there's nothing off about that. Um, the faces all look different. You know, there's some artists who their faces just all look the same with like, well, they have different hair, you know? And so that's how you know who the characters are. Uh, these are all different people. Um, I, I just, I don't know. There's just something about it that just doesn't, doesn't really grab me. It, it it's not bad enough for me to notice, and not great enough for me to notice. If that's 
That's not really a compliment, though. <laughs> so, so let's get into it, man. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. So this story, um, the when I read this in preparation for our recording, I was like, "Wait, did I miss something? Like, did I just utterly forget what happened in six oh three? Because yep, the team of the <laughs> Secret Six is a well-oiled machine at this point. Like, it's <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like." Let's see. So we were talking before we started recording. It, it shows up here, and I've got 603 in my hands right here. Uh, June 23rd at 10 p.m. This is when the Secret Six gets their base, and they get their first their first mission. And then June 24th at 2 p.m. Central Time in Brox, uh, Brockton, Kansas, is when the quote-unquote Barney's Electronics shows up to do this delivery. So now, now they got their powers uh i believe it was june 7th though okay so you know they're what they had they had two weeks so plausible deniability there i guess yeah they, they, they had two weeks uh to get to know each other really well be able to count on each other and uh know their power set and train and because we do have a marine in here yes right I mean, a Marine on the team, that's enough in some way. You know, that this is where you just have to say, I'm going to go with it. Yeah. And they could have, uh, when I say they, Martin Pasco could have done the, and, and chosen to go with, uh, you know, we're going to mess up here. Um, we're going to go on this first mission and we're going to, we're still getting to know each other. But you're right. Uh, I not only felt like I, I missed something with that, uh, I also just felt like, wow, we're just jumping into this mission what did i miss with the mission yeah um yeah it's just all of a sudden bam they 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 do it i mean the the whole thing with clarence the handyman where it's it's this uh creation again how much time did they have to create this prosthetics uh, you know for this horror movie monster man uh, because Mitch is the, sp- the special effects guy. I mean, they're given the stuff that they needed to do to do parts of the mission, but it did it provide all that, or is that something that Mitch was just pulling on from just previous experience? We can do this quick and dirty because I did this on an Evil Dead movie that we had two weeks or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but that's where you just have to go with it. The problem for is everything's dated and time-stamped. Yes. You know, you got to make sure... We know everything when it, exactly when it happens, and it, it, that that takes away from a little bit of the believability of them going through this plan. And eight hours on, underneath that truck, uh, you know they're they're under they're hiding underneath this truck. You see them get on in six oh three, and let's see if I can find it here. But you get on it in six oh three, and it's. Oh, I don't see what time it is. Around 2 p.m. And they arrive at their destination at 11 p.m. So maybe they didn't get on the truck at 2 p.m., but it's four four to nine hours underneath a truck. Just riding along, hanging on. If the timestamp wasn't there, I I wouldn't have I wouldn't even bring it up. But it's there. It's specific. 
you know, part of the reason I want to, I'm, I'm kind of anxious to read those two issues that I do have of the original Secret Six run, is I want to see if this dynamic still exists because these are super people, but not. Yes. Like they, yeah. they all, they all were, you know, let's say they they all excelled at something before they came across whatever disability it is that they had. Uh huh. And then they're given this technology that puts them back to where they were. Like I, I, I feel like you know maybe, maybe the guy with the you know the, the, uh, I, I, it's going to take me a little while to learn everybody's name. So so I actually thank you for doing your your character breakdowns now at the beginning of a synopsis. So at least it'll be drilled into my head the names of these people. Uh, but the like the 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 blind guy like maybe there's like some sort of night vision component to his helmet. So like. Maybe slightly better than they were before they encountered their disability. You know, like yeah, but yeah. but would we really call them super? So the the whole the whole thing is, you know, these people are back up to the level that they were prior to experiencing their disability, and maybe even a little better. All that can be turned off at this at a switch by Mockingbird, or let's say something like a bullet glances off one of the tech and it you know it shuts down or something you know that there's that added component there so i think it's i think that's interesting an interesting aspect to play with and i think you know especially since you broke down uh, at the beginning who you know to remind us who these people were and what their individual expert is it all makes sense that you know these two are the ones hiding in the closet and doing the uh-huh. you know cuz special effects and you know the voice and uh, everything and then the two relative you know a marine and an athlete are the ones doing the kind of yeah, heavy yeah. hitting uh communications guy you know and then this the, the doctor is Vardigan or something like that uh what's her name Ver- doctor oh, i don't i can't find it now uh, it's, it's in 602 it's it's uh let's see here it's uh, Doctor Verdugo, uh, Ver- Doctor Verdugo. I feel like I'm, and and I, I, I you know, I, I'm trying to kind of give my thoughts as we go. If I'm trying not to read ahead too much, I feel like I might be getting annoyed with her already. <laughs> you know, she's 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 clearly you know quote the brains of the operation. That's kind of her powers. The way she yeah. way she kind of she's like she's like the oracle. In a way, you know, she sees all the information and kind of processes it. She's kind of like Oracle meets meets. Um... Did you watch Arrow at all? A uh, couple seasons. Okay, do you remember? Cl- Wait, no. Did, did he show up? Did he show up on Arrow or Flash? Either way, there was a there was an episode of one of those CW shows where uh, Clock King shows up and he plans this heist. And you know, he's got two henchmen. You know, just you know, idiots. You know, general general henchmen. Um, and he's telling him, you know, in two seconds, turn the corner, you know, that kind of a thing. So she's kind of like Clock King meets Oracle, you know. She's, I don't know. It's, I, th- I feel yeah. like this is all like a kind of well-oiled thing. Like, hey, we're running behind schedule, blah blah blah. But you know, here's all the information we need and what's going on and who's where and why, you know, like all this stuff. So that's that's really interesting to me too. Is I feel like I might be getting a little annoyed with that character uh, or at least have the potential to be annoyed with her. <laughs> yeah. You know, here's, here's the vibe I'm getting right now from this. And it's this, this is the a team meets the $6 million man. I mean, these are all basically cyborgs 
but they have their one special specialty. And then this mission requires all of their specialties. And, you know, in some ways I wonder, you know, did Martin Pasco just sit down and think, okay, I've got these characters who can do these things. So they need a mission where this will work, you know, or did he say, okay, this mission, how do I fit these guys into it? But, um, it's, it's the A team meets $6 million man. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. What's weird to me is Elvis. Okay. Elvis is the, the element that I'm just looking at and thinking, how does this fit into this world? This 12 year old kid who runs this business, they call him a wonder kid a couple times or whatever the, 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 the German phrase is Wunderkind or whatever. But, um, you know, he literally, he runs around in his footy pajamas. I thought it was an adult. When I read the first issue where he appeared and you only saw his feet, I thought we were looking at like the super childish adult that would be, you know, but no, it's a 12 year old kid who runs this business. His favorite movie is Halloween nightmares. Uh, you know, this is part four that he's watching today that, that features that Clarence thing. And it's just, it's this caricature and I'm trying to figure out, well, what does this caricature mean? What, what's the, why, why is this business owner a kid like this? And it, that's, that's where I'm kind of like, okay, I like the plan. We got the plan. We got the people doing the plan. That's cool. It's just this weird element that gets thrown in there that feels like, I don't know if it was Robocop two or three where Frank Miller, you know, wrote it and he has the kid who's like the, the mafia boss kid. Mm-hmm. And it, it feels like that. Like it feels more like something where it'd be in a parody or a satire of a Robocop type of thing instead of a straight up superhero action story. Right. It, it, he's bizarre. There, there doesn't seem to be any reason for him to be a kid. Maybe, uh, maybe to give this, the, the, the team's first mission a bit of, ease you think maybe maybe I mean, it goes easy except for Vic and Luke right but the, all the stuff with Elvis goes is exactly according to plan uh, the, the Vic and Luke stuff does not um, well you know I'm assuming with with issue 605 we're, of course we're gonna see how that cliffhanger turns out Um. But it it doesn't go according exactly, and and there's some interesting fallout possibilities. I guess they coerced the confession out of him. That's you know being tricked into uh, giving your confession because you're being chased by a serial killing monster from a movie who is very specifically asking you questions about what you've done. I don't know if that holds up in a court of law. But in the court of public opinion, I guess it would be okay. Which I don't so, know about that. This this day that that when this was published in the late eighties, but definitely today, that's kind of all that matters now to people is the court of public opinion. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> all right, you got anything else to say about this one? Yes, one more thing, and this bugged me the first time I read it. It bugged me when I was rereading it just before we started recording. And it bugged me when I wrote the, the plot synopsis. So I've, I've read this three times now, and it bugged me all three times. And that's there's this cool page where Clarence walks out of the closet, and Elvis looks at him. You know, he's just this chubby, redhead, glasses kid, and he's like, Yeah, what's going on? And he says, You're not real. You're, you're just in my mind. You're just, you know, a dream or whatever. And 
Clarence says, oh, really? Well, if I wasn't real, could I do this? And he has this transformation sequence, which is a really cool, you know, the face goes from one thing to another and, and, and goes from this bald, scarred, burned face into this fanged, hairy, wolfmanish kind of face. If I wasn't real, could I do this? Yes. Yes, you could if you weren't real. <laughs> In fact, by not being real, you could do that and more. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's, it's an impressive sounding line. If I wasn't real, could I do this? <laughs> but yeah, like that's the whole point. Dreams don't have a budget <laughs> and dreams don't follow physics. And it, it just, it, it bothered me. Uh, I like the plan other than that, where they trick him the way they do. But that, that moment, <laughs> it was just a cool page ruined by some dialogue that made it less cool. I think we missed out on a nice little ch- uh, car chase scene. <laughs> it could have been nice yeah. to see Elvis get in this tiny little car and zip off. And then- Literally a little car chase. Yeah. <laughs> that could have been fun. And then when he finally like he he gets in front of the kid or, or he it's not he it's the woman who's in there who has the voice modulation rips his head off blood comes gushing out like a tarantino movie out of the guy's neck hole toward elvis it's <laughs> it, they have traumatized this child now, now this child has been leading a an organization uh, a business that has actually killed people because of you know, acid rain that they've created, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's disgusting. Like it's that, that that's the high point is that where the head gets ripped off and the blood is just spilling out gushing man. All right. Well, uh, be- be- before we uh, move on to the uh, Superman segment with Bailey, where do, uh, where can people find you across the net? Uh, let's, let's go with comic book time machine, comic book time machine.com where I talk about comic books in the past not from the future. Cause I haven't read them yet, but yeah. Uh, main thing we're doing right now, I, I've talked about this before, but the star Wars project where I'm, I'm reading through star Wars from beginning to end. But as I go month by month, I'm adding in all of the licensed science fiction books that they did at the same time, other than GI Joe transformers and Conan. I'm not touching those because there's so much with that and honestly would have broke the budget. But Human Fly, you can find those in the quarter rims, man. <laughs> do you guys uh, do you guys always do themed type uh, episodes or is it just kind of like a no. almost like just pull from the long box and review what we can find? Well, some of them, yeah. It's the, the primary project that I'm doing on there right now is that Star Wars project. Gotcha. I, I've we've done other random issues. We've done you know some of the other guys have done some some themed stuff, and I I'm actually thinking about some other themed things I want to do because I can't create just new podcasts. But in that context, I uh, with Comic Book Time Machine, I can go ahead and say, oh well, I can read this this miniseries and 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 just talk about that or the, these two issues. But then that's also that's the one where. My Strangers and Aliens podcast, that's a weekly schedule. We get it out. We get it out quickly. Um, Comic Book Time Machine, that's spare time hmm. uh, podcast. Well, the, so it's, it's not, not on a regular schedule necessarily. Well, the reason I ask is can your, mis- your listeners make sh- suggestions? Yeah, absolutely. 
Cool. I've got a lot of stuff in my long boxes that I've always wanted to hear someone talk about on a podcast. <laughs> if, if I if I have a copy of it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining me again for this episode, Ben. It's been nice talking to you. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more Superman. Well, two pages, but more Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we finally developed our time machine. Should we use it to go back and see how Stonehenge was built? Or become friends with Hitler and convince him to stay in art school? Or we could go back in time and get the comic books we missed. Yeah! Yeah. The Comic Book Time Machine. A journey back in time to explore comic books. Good and bad. Whether from seven decades ago or seven days ago. Join our journey at comicbooktimemachine.com. Okay, and we're back for break, and Superman. We're, we're, we're back. It's time yet again for Superman. So I brought Michael Bailey back, and as you know, he's the, the czar of Clark considerations. So... <laughs> that wasn't one of my better ones. <laughs> I'll still I, take it. I, I, it may not go on Facebook, but I'll still take it. <laughs> I I use thesaurus.com a lot. (laughs) But, you know, whatever. (laughs) So, when last we left Clark, he was at, well, Superman. I'd like, I intermittently call him Kal-El or Clark, or just Cal. I typically don't say Superman, just for your own edification. (laughs) So, (laughs) there's that. When we last left Cal, he was taking care of business by trying to take out, one by one, the worst team of gang members ever. (laughs) So, welcome back, Michael, into this insanity. (laughs) Uh, I I appreciate that. (laughs) You're welcome. And when when last we talked, I had an idea, so I I jotted it down for the next time we talked. I, I wanted to know, as a Superman fan... When somebody new comes on to a title or a new series starts, do you find that it's they typically start off with a story or maybe not just maybe not a whole issue? It could be it could be a whole storyline. It could be, you know, five, six issues. It could be the first issue, whatever. Do you typically find that they first they start off with something that's more classic Superman like this story? Where it's, like you said, street level, he's taking on some gangs. There's, there's really no story here yet. There's no overarching theme or story. It's just Superman versus a gang that was trying to kill some people. I, I think that a, a lot of the, not so much in the New 52, uh, which was not, it's not been Superman's finest four years. Uh, I, I think when a new creative team comes on, after the Triangle era was good and done, because uh, for those of you who are not, you know, it, it just occurred to me that somebody may not know what I'm talking about when I say the Triangle era, and, and it's probably <laughs> insulting to think that they should. Uh, starting in 1991, but really starting in like 1989, the Superman books were all linked. Uh, for for the most part, they kind of like had their own subplots going on. But what happened in Superman carried over into adventures, carried over into action, and so on, to the point where in 1991, when the fourth Superman book, Superman the Man of Steel, came out, it was almost a weekly comic book, uh, dissimilar to Action Comics Weekly, but it was basically serialized. So when they had 
creators come onto the book, they were coming into a well-oiled machine. So you weren't starting your Superman book. You were part of a larger creative staff. Whereas during the 2000s, you know, you, you very much had people coming on, new writers coming on and kind of doing the classic Superman stuff. One of my, one of the best examples of that is Superman number 151, which was Jeff Loeb's first issue of Superman, where he really just, he, he did every, he did all the big, uh, you know, checkoffs, you know, he had Clark Kent, the daily planet, he had Clark Kent, Lois, he had Lex Luthor, he had super Clark Kent running away to change into Superman. And that's when they brought the daily planet back because uh, temporarily it had been sold and, and decommissioned essentially. But it seems like when somebody comes on to Superman, they want to kind of stretch their legs with what they think the character is. And sometimes it works. And sometimes you have Steven, uh, Steven T. Siegel coming on the book. And every time Superman used a power in the first issue that he wrote, you had a little caption box, strength, flight, mm. speed. And I'm like, wow, that's great yeah. for your first issue. He did it for the next year. So sometimes it kind of backfires on you. But... Yeah, I, I would say it's fair to say that people, when they come on to Superman, because he is such an iconic character, they want to kind of get their feet wet with him, with what they think the character is. So yeah. you're going to have that in an issue or a storyline. See, that's what I thought, because, I mean, I, I yes, I'm people make fun of me sometimes for being the young guy, one of the young guys, in, in, in the especially in the Fire and Water it's podcast. It's because we're jealous, but that's I know. okay. I know, but... My experience with comics is such that I I don't know everything when what you guys are talking about, <laughs> like you were talking about the color form last time. Uh, but I know what you mean by the triangle era. So, like for instance, one of my favorite Superman stories of all time, the One Man JLA, and I'm talking about uh, that's probably what early '90s. <laughs> no, sir, that is 1999. '99. Yeah. See, see, I can't place I can't place that that, okay. that image mentally. It's to be fair, one, that's my thing, is I remember stuff like this. But two, the very first day that I talked to my wife and, and, and on the phone was the day I went to the comic shop and picked up that storyline out of my box. There you go. So I, I, that's, that's one of the main reasons I know that that's 1999, because that's the year I met my wife. There you go. So, yes, the one-man JLA, for those of you who don't know, that's where, essentially, Jor-El is running through scenarios of where he would send Kal-El, but not really. But I don't want to spoil the storyline for you guys. A uh, little historical context to that. The previous year, uh, Ron Mars, who wrote the one-man JLA, had done another four-part story that ran through all the titles. And this was getting that little creative team back together uh, to do a month, basically giving the regular creative team the month off. Yeah, we actually had Ron Mars on the Lantern cast not too long ago, and uh, I asked him about One Man JLA. So, yeah, that, definitely that was... definitely going to have to check out that interview because I want to hear what he has to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> I had to because it's one of my it's one of my favorite... Would you would it be fair to call it an Elseworlds? You think? I mean, it's it, it's a fun what if Elseworlds type concept. Yeah. Like like what if he went onto the planet Ran and what if he became a Green Lantern? You know, just like 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 those are 
as a story in and of itself, just kind of separate from like the day to day business of the DC universe, that is a great idea to to let an artist and a writer just like go with that, like go crazy. Like seeing him in the Adam Strange outfit was both awesome and kind of terrifying at the same time. Yeah, but that's what I meant by the whole. You know, like you put it a good way. You know, getting your feet wet, stretching, stretching your legs with Superman. The the just sort of coming onto the book fresh, and you as a writer, and especially in comics, your job is to know where you're going. But I kind of feel like it's almost it, it would almost be intimidating to take on the the Superman gig. So you'd want to sort of you know, like you said, stretch your legs, wet your feet with the the characters in the world and the voice of Superman by doing a sort of surface level, simple Superman classic story. And I kind of feel like up until I think I think up until the next time you and I talk, that's what this story is. Mm-hmm. So there's that. So speaking of this story, what do we got in this double page spread? Final escape. Because the uh, story title has a question mark at the end of it, so I'm going to read it as such. Uh, by the same creative team as the uh, last three installments, uh, we find Superman chasing after the car uh, that had driven away after the one gunman, the final gunman, shot his friend. Uh, he thinks he's getting away clean. He sees Superman in the uh, in the rearview mirror, uh, which I, I am assuming this is where. Steven Spielberg got the idea of showing the T-Rex in the rear view and, and with the joke, uh, objects in the rear view mirror, mirror play closer than they are. And he drives the, uh, he forces the guy off the road, rips off the hood, takes him out of it. And just as he thinks he's got this guy locked, nope, this guy's a suicide bomber and he blows himself up. Uh, rips off the roof basically. of the car. Yeah, it rips off the roof of the car, which looks both cloth and metallic, which I appreciated. <laughs> uh, for Superman, they're the same thing. <laughs> now, we, we said last time that, that at la the last story is sort of where the art really starts falling apart. And I can still see it here, but you still get, in my opinion, two good moments. The first panel, which is still kind of muddy, but that pose is so quintessential Superman mm -hmm. and it's it's positioned pretty well as opposed to the other one that we were talking about last time uh, and that looks great as a matter of fact I, and I know the face looks different but I kind of see that at a glance and I say Christopher Reeve yeah and I'm kind of wondering if they brought Beatty on to kind of give it more of you know try to to jazz up Swan's pencils and give it a more quote-unquote modern look because we're talking about a book that came out over 25 years ago um but that superman looks nothing like the superman in the rest of the strip right <laughs> and and that's that's kind of a problem for me because i don't like inconsistency like that so i mean it's a great pose you're right it's a great shot of superman it's just that face does not look like a kurt swan superman no uh, and again, like like you mentioned, my other favorite panel is, of course, the the objects in rearview mirror are closer than they appear. Uh, that's that's cool. I like that. I mean, in in modern time, uh, you know, when especially like over on the Lantern Cast when we're reviewing uh, normal issues, we you'd be surprised. And actually, you know, you probably wouldn't, but 
people out there listening, you'd be surprised how many really simple things editors miss these days. You mean like the fact that Pakistani isn't a language? <laughs> There's that. There's also the fact that, and just throwing this out there, for those of you who have just been paying attention to solicits, Parallax is back in the Green Lantern storylines. And I mean after the whole Convergence thing, this is Parallax from pre-New 52 in our universe coexisting at the same time as our quote-unquote New 52 Hal Jordan. So those two are going to be clashing at some point. Well, we read a panel in one of the issues where Parallax says something about Coast City and it's printed Cost City. Wow, <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> so there are, there are some things that are really like our editors sleeping today. No, you 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 got to ask that because with as much accusations of micromanaging that have been levied at at, at DC editors at this point, you which you would... I am among the members. I will fully admit it right now. I'm one of the people who thinks editorials got their nose way too far in everybody's business right now. And I and I think editorial on high has their nose in too many people's business right now. But that's an argument or a debate or a conversation or maybe you know basically that conversation would be better if we were like face to face at a bar like having a drink and just bitching drowning about our what, sorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when our books were good? Remember when we liked these characters? So, but uh, I feel bad for you, man. <laughs> I feel really bad for you, uh, but um, no, I, I, I think I, I think when you look at these pages on a technical level, the storytelling is super clear. Hmm. Like Superman, you know, like forcing the car off is a little stiff, but you know, ending this with a dude blowing himself up, it's like right there. It's kind of like a shot across the bow. This is not your typical Superman story, and the great thing is, is that. Stern keeps giving us these cliffhanger endings. That's true. And they're great. I mean, like, you know, this dude blowed himself up. I want to know what happens next. And you see the shadow. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you wouldn't, you don't, if you think about it, you see him push a detonator on his belt buckle. Yeah. You don't have to see his shadow in the explosion to know that dude is dead. <laughs> but they put it in there anyways. <laughs> But also, when I see that thing, I think of, hear me, X-Men, I am no longer the Jean Grey you knew before. Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry, I, total tangent. I, what I was talking about, the reason I brought up editors, is because I was looking, because I saw, oh, this is a mirror shot. His symbol better be, okay, it is. It's yeah, the symbol's backwards, dude, in the mirror shot. It's great. <laughs> that's that's attention to detail that sometimes, unfortunately, gets missed nowadays. And what's great is he's kind of, like, not super clear in the mirror. So it looks like the car is shaking. Yes. Like you're seeing that in the reflection. And it's just like, damn, that's like, like, you you don't think about it. But since we're sitting here analyzing it, you do, you know, we're, we're kind of pointing it out. But uh, I just love that, that, you know, obviously this is a car and I've looked at my rear view mirror a bunch of times. And sometimes depending on how the road is, it's either a super clear image or it's like, bah, 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 bah. so, uh, though I do appreciate, you know, I've, I've been kind of down on the art in the last couple sections. I do like just artistically the look on the guy's face when he sees 
what he sees in the rear view. Like, that's a, oh, crap, expression. No, oh, no. (laughs) And he's got the ellipsis between oh and no, (laughs) so that's great. Yeah, and it's great because in the previous panel, this dude thinks he has it made. He's just like, I'm just, I never should have hired common criminals. I should have done this job myself, alone. I'm sure I could have done it without attracting attention. Oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) But we're uh, starting to get a little more of the plot here because he's talking about, you know, we had to inter- intercept and eliminate one of the Fellowship idiots' couriers before we could deliver his message. And it's just like, okay, so there's more to this than a bunch of guys chasing a dude and trying to kill him. Right. For sure. I I I enjoy it. I think because of that first panel pose... It kind of and and the whole just the, the way the 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 rearview mirror panel was done. I think I prefer this one over the prior one we did. So I def I, I enjoy, it, but I I can still see you know the muddiness. At least here the grass looks like grass. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Or at least more grass like. <laughs> and we're getting more of the great car detailing and stuff yeah. like that. And that actually, you know, when he's flying away, that looks like a four lane highway separated by a grass median. So, exactly. And the and the people that are coming out of the cars, they're they're all they're like four di- completely distinct body types. I mean, you have, yeah. you got the Lex the Lex Luthor Telly Savalas guy. Uh, you got the guy that couldn't let go of the sixties. Uh, you got the, the guy that looks like Clark Kent after he let himself go. Uh, and then the dude with the swept back hair who just... Young Willem Dafoe. I swear to God, he's wearing like a wife beater under it, under whatever clothes he's wearing. You know? To me, he looks like a young Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, but yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it. you have anything else to say about this one? Nope, I'm, I'm out of my notes on this one. All right, moving right along. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but before we do, where can people find you, Bailey? Uh, Viewsfromthelongbox.com. Uh, Views from the Longbox is my uh, fairly regular comic show where I just talk about whatever's on my mind and, and attracting my attention because I am like a ferret with a, on a double espresso sometimes. Uh, sometimes you can hear other people on with me. Sometimes I'm alone. Uh, and then there's From Crisis to Crisis, where Jeffrey Taylor and I are talking about this era of Superman. Uh, we started with Man of Steel. We're about up to 1995. And we're just looking at the entire post-crisis Superman's history, one issue at a time. Awesome. All right, guys, we are going to take a quick break. Thanks again, Bailey, for coming on. I keep calling you Bailey. I don't know That's why. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel like I'm back in high school. So. There you go. Well, thank, thanks for coming on, Michael. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll take a quick promotional break. And when we come back, Dead Man. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is. And we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... And, uh... You know what? I, I just I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's it's just not fair. 
So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like Season 2 of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Bailitude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailey2.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. All right, guys, we are back from break, fresh off the heels of Superman and an epic explosion. We get superheroes sitting, or a superhero sitting around in the form of Dead Man, aka Boston Brand. And since we are talking Dead Man, Doug Zavish is back. Hey, buddy, how you doing? I'm doing great, Chad. How you doing, sir? I'm all right, I'm all right. Thanks for coming on. You know, it's, it's always nice. Uh, it's always nice talking to you. You know, uh, fellow Dead Man fan, and uh, you know, it's just it's just nice talking to you in general, man. I thought you were going to lead in with the and since we're talking sitting around. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm pretty good at that one, too. <laughs> yeah, so Dead Man's back. Or yeah. I guess he hasn't really left. It's just another chapter in the Dead Man story, the Mike Barron political intrigue Dead Man story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... it's uh, yeah, God, this story. It's just going <laughs> to get weirder. Uh, <laughs> before we we jump into the weirdness, this is the first time uh, you and I have recorded together since uh, the, the podcast launched, and you've actually been able to hear the finished product. What do you think, man? It's it's impressive, sir. It, <laughs> it is. It's like I was saying to you uh, offline. It's a marathon listen. I have a, a large lawn, so it takes me about two hours to mow it, and I'm just so glad right now I got that lawn. <laughs> it gives me a chance to listen to it. <laughs> you know, I can I can go a little faster through my parts because I don't want to hear myself. <laughs> but uh, then it gives me a chance to, to catch up on everything else. Yeah, I'm telling and I'll you, be man. honest with you, I still haven't read Secret Six. <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> I was just re-listening to Six Hundred Three not too long ago. And yes, guys, I re-listened to my own podcast. Just that's part of how I keep up with where we are in, in the story. Instead of actually actually having to dig out issues and re 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 read all of these comics before we start recording a particular segment, so. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't say I didn't listen to the Secret Six part. I, <laughs> I haven't read it yet. Uh, you you got to give it a shot, man. I'm telling you. I told you last time, but clearly you don't listen. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, man. So we're back into the madness with Dead Man. Uh, go for it. It's 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 all yours. I'll I'll save my commentary till the end. But it's all, all right. yours. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. So, Dead Man, we're back at the. Uh... You know, I'm thinking it's a Mayan temple. I'm not remembering if, it, if we established Mayan or Aztec, but I'm I'm going to roll with Mayan. So we're back at the Mayan temple, and we're given Dead Man's bright, shiny logo up in the top corner, and the continuous sound effect of "arr," where it's revealed then as Dead Man is sitting on this futuristic tank overlooking the scene that Major Cassaba is upset that one of her men has gone into the temple and started the and I'm using air quotes on this one, flying saucer. And it keeps being called a saucer and a saucer and a saucer. But jo joining Dead Man is Talaak. And Talaak is spirit, just like Dead Man. And the two of them are overlooking the scene. 
Unfortunately, in the second panel, Talaak looks like he's standing on the ground, so it looks like he's doing his very best Apache Chief audition, as opposed to floating in, in the uh, ether, as Dead Man does. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. This is Genie in a Bottle. It's written by Mike Barron, drawn by Dan Jurgens, inked by Tony DiZanuga, lettered by Steve Haney, colored by Liz Baru, and edited by Barbara Randall. So what happens on the second page is the... And Chad, does this look like a time sphere to you? <laughs> I mean, it, it looks like a time sphere in the fact that it uh, what a time sphere may look like if it was upside down and not clear. Yeah. So anyway, the not flying saucer flying saucer goes bursting out of the temple with a large crack and into space. The lackey of Kasabas that's piloting this thing or that has accidentally started this thing, his name is Courier. Baron got so creative with these names. <laughs> so Deadman goes after the, the ship and possesses Courier, who's the fool from Kasaba's crew, who sent the ship off into space. As Boston inhabits Courier, he, he notices that it's kind of a, a humanoid setup, so he's trying some switches, but keeps thinking to himself that it's, it's very alien, and <laughs> opens the airlock. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I like to think I have a little bit of knowledge about Dead Man. He's inhabiting a body that's breathing that ideally still needs to keep breathing. The page before this, he, he comments on the fact that there's possibly limited air. And he opens the airlock. So he decides at this point, well, something's got to give. He can't figure out how to turn this ship around or to bring it back to Earth. Also doesn't know anything about Courier. You know, is he a hero? Is he a, a lackey? Is he just a mercenary? So he decides to literally abandon ship. So as this thing is rocketing into space, Deadman heads back to the temple, finds the temple destroyed, calls out to Talaak, who comes back very faded, and he says that because the temple is destroyed, he is starting to fade away. He's, he will soon be nothing but a memory. And Deadman had a, oh man, kind of was getting to like you. And all that really does is it gives us a great shot from Jurgens and D. Tizuniga of Dead Man, just a very prototypical vertical shot where we can see Dead Man in the uh, aerialist outfit, truly looking like a dead man. So from there, uh, we go back to Boston finding Kasaba, who is threatening the professor. The professor from a couple issues ago led them to this whole temple thing. And Kasaba is now down to one lackey. So it's her, her lackey, the professor, and the forky-looking ray gun. So, Deadman tries to possess Kasaba, but then he is, <clears throat> and I use this as a verb, spacked out of her by the sound effect, and given tangible form. Now, somewhere between when Deadman gets ejected from Kasaba and becomes tangible, and the next panel, they're able to get out sawhorses and a glass sarcophagus and get Deadman in the glass sar sarcophagus after subduing him which is phenomenal between panels. Then we go to the next page, which is two days later in rural Virginia, as Cassaba uh, is handing over dead man who is entombed in plastic, which is now gone from a square sarcophagus to a, a tablet or a pill like shape. And she's handing dead man over to the CIA. The director of the CIA claims that this could help put the U S years ahead of the Soviets 
in terms of ESP research. And the president himself wants to see the discovery. So from there, that gives Dead Man a chance to lament his situation and wish that he were instead caught once more by Sensei. End of tale. Or end of this chapter, at least. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like it. I actually do like this story. Uh, I'm. Uh, it's just I cannot help but just be like, what? <laughs> like, we go from Dead Man, the first issue when we're talking about Dead Man in space on a Soviet satellite. Then we go back down to Earth and it's some sort of government spook operation. Then we get the Mayan temple thing and the whole ancient, you know, mythology almost. Uh, yeah, I, I had mentioned before the fact that it was like, you know, I almost feel like Hawkman should be a part of this story, you know, that kind right. of a thing. Um, and now we go back to space in the fact that there's an actual spaceship, <laughs> which Dead Man rides for a few pages into space. Yes. <laughs> and at the end of it all, we go back to the sort of mystical, magical side of things. With Dead Man being captured, and now we go back to this government spook sort of thing. What is the tone of this story? <laughs> Where are we going? <laughs> what, what is the point of all this? If the point of all this was to get to this point that I'm seeing at the end of this, you just recapped. If this is the point, why did we need all this other stuff beforehand to get to here? End Surely quarters. there was a less confusion <laughs> way to do this. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we were here initially. And if I'm not mistaken, and I haven't read too far ahead, I don't think the space thing comes back as a factor real soon. No, I don't. I don't think so either. And again, I'm trying not to read too far ahead either, because, like, for instance, on the Secret Six side of things, I'm trying not to be spoiled as to who uh, Mockingbird really is, which is supposedly revealed somewhere in the pages of Action Comics Weekly, Um, and things like that. But just, like, I... uh, I don't know what to tell and we're gonna when we when we get to future episodes of this it just gets even worse yes yes it does what in the hell is going on next issue is start where it starts to get worse and then right after that and I say worse like it's not like the story sucks I'm enjoying <laughs> it I think the art is particularly well done I, I'm it's growing on me more and more with each story um, first, I had some issues with it, and I, you know, if you look, if you look long enough at really any art in comics, you're gonna find something wrong. Um, but I do like the way Dead Man is drawn in a lot of these panels. I mean, he looks like I think Dead Man should look. Now, obviously, when I think Dead Man, the first image that pops into my mind is Neil Adams. I'm with um, there. So, and it's it's not like you know this person is aping Neil Adams or anything, but. I, it's recognizable as Dead Man. I don't see very many issues with it. Um, the only issues I see in anything are maybe an odd pose here or there, or the way people are positioned. Like for example, what you were talking about with Talaak in that second panel, that you could have done what you do with like Dead Man when he's floating there in the air with his feet pointed and you know one leg up slightly, you know that kind of thing. So it's kind of clear that he's just kind of floating there. Right. But other than that, like, like those are things. Like I said, if you're if you think if you look hard enough, you're gonna find something. 
Oh yeah. Otherwise, I like it. I don't have an issue with it. It's just I have no idea what is going on. Like, am I reading a space story? Am I reading a you know a historical type fiction story? Am I reading a government spook? You know, kind of adventure story am i reading a supernatural story what am i reading here a superhero story yeah what is this yeah what is this comic i mean and that's the beauty is dead man can be all of those except that's the oddity is baron is making it all of those yeah dead man can be all of these things but usually not in the same story (laughs) right especially an eight page story yeah um I I feel like the for all the faults that like for instance the wild dog story has it's very clear what that story is so I, I just uh, it bothers me that this is jumping all over the place um, but for jumping all over the place I do enjoy it I do like it it's just it's it's not helping the reader I don't think <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it, but I, I've harped on long enough about that. Um, what do you think about Tala'ak saying that he's he's tied into the temple and he says, my temple crushed and my believers scattered. I'm fading away. Soon I'll be nothing but a memory. Well, and, and this is a, a trope we've seen before. Yeah. And, and it works in order to move Dead, La- Dead Man along to the next <laughs> the next point in Baron's notes for future plots. Yeah. Um, it shifts dead man from here to there. That's true. Uh, now the, the one thing you mentioned, uh, as far as the airlock is concerned, I'm assuming that because this thing is ancient and can still fly and that these beings are relatively humanoid, that there's some sort of central air system that's capable of creating oxygen and pumping it into the ship. And once Dead Man then closes the airlock again, that it's pumping air back in. And I'm also cons- maybe yeah. Well, see, this is there were no prizing things right now, <laughs> and that maybe it's part of the reason Dead Man puts him in this supposed trance, like because supposedly, right. like when you're in a coma or something, you know, you're using less oxygen than you would be if you were conscious. Right, so I don't I don't know that, but yeah, it, 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 just from watching TV and movies, the minute an airlock opens in a tiny shuttle, people get sucked through tiny little holes. So yes, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe there's some sort of field around this ship. I have no idea. They're maybe they're again no prizing it because it's alien technology. I have no, but. Um, well, or maybe uh, Baron just forgot, you know, dead men's bodies are still functional living bodies. True. Uh, I, I, I was confused. I, I was confused and not confused because I th- at first I was and then it's, I, it took me a minute to realize I wasn't thinking it probably just meant stop talking and just mention what I'm saying. Dead man has always been unable to access the memories of the people he inhabits correct um because i feel like there might have been some stories where he knew the memories of the people he inhabited so like he could 
you know, have a passing conversation and know the names of the people he's talking with. If he's doing some sort of, I don't know, if you want to call it undercover work, you can call it that. But I don't know. I'm pretty sure he he didn't. You know, he would just pick it up in context of, you know, prior to uh, jumping into the bodies. But there was, gosh, there was a tale. I'm trying to remember what it was. I want to say it was the Dead Again series, and maybe I'd have to double check this, and I'm probably going to kick myself for being wrong. But I want to say it was the Dead Again series and Flash, and the two of them were in limbo-ish space having a conversation. But that was the oddity, not the the consistent. Mm-hmm. And Dead Dead Again was the one where he's teaming up with various peoples throughout uh, different moments in the DCU, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, it was a five-issue series. Yeah. I believe I have, haven't read it in a long time. Um, yeah, I've got to dig a whole bunch of dead men out and brush up a little bit here. Yeah, for sure. Um, the I, I like some of this. I, well, there's one panel in particular that I like, and there's nothing in there's nothing really special about it. Right after Telaoc fades, that last panel, it's labeled as page five for this story. Just that look on Dead Man's face. Yes. I like that close-up. I like that image. I like the way that looks. Um, you can see sort of the uh, angry sadness on his face when... When Telox says, you know, save your petty dead man, I'm the lucky one. I no longer have to cling to this mad, destructive world. Right. And dead this man's like, cla- well, good for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that that one shot is classic dead man. Yes. Um, it's Jurgens indeed doing a great job of capturing that. Yes, that look on his face is is really well done. And I, 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 I had to bring it up because I did notice it and uh, I, I had to say something. Um Kasaba, do you buy her as any sort of villain in any way, shape, or form? She's a she, spoiler. She's about to get knocked off her pedestal the very next issue. Uh, but do you buy her as any sort of prota- uh, antagonist or anything like that in this? Because I feel like she's just there. She's a, a convenient antagonist, I think. Um, she's there and she serves her purpose, and. Baron flexes that purpose to be whatever he wants to make the story. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I guess it's just, I feel, I feel like there's a, even, even if you ditch her, this is what, this is four issues into the story. Even if you ditch her, you know, the very next issue, that's, that's enough. That's, that's essentially, you know, almost a full comic. She she should be some threat. She should be something to us at this point, but now she just seems like a slightly bigger supporting character in all of this. Maybe and, and, no more so than even this professor who we haven't seen in a little while. Right, and she could have been a threat. You know, it's not like had a very wide ranging or even deep collection of of foes. You know, Baron could have flexed a, a couple things to this character, like, for instance, Dead Man getting spacked out of her body. You know, that could have been attributed to her rather than the mysterious weapon. 
Yeah, that's true. But, you know, it is what it is. It's an A to B type of character that, like I said, is adjusted as it seems to need to be, including her hairstyle. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll get to that. Um <laughs> The, the 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 final question I had is this this glass sarcophagus thing, both the boxy looking one and the pill looking one later on, is this some sort of specialized glass, or are we to take it that of the weapon that Kasaba shoots him with are longer lasting? And the reason he's kept in this box is because of his exposure to this weapon, not anything that the box itself or the pill itself is particularly doing to keep him in it. I'm taking it as the weapon, but in the next issue, he is still in the box and the bot or the pill. And that does become, you know, the, the, the plot point there. So, uh, they mentioned a magnetic flow. So maybe it, it, the weapon materialized him in there doing something with, you know, comic book science, to keep it all uh, out of sync, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Now, one thing I wanted to ask, because I, I, I kind of know this already just because I'm a, a, a Dead Man fan. Um, he says, I'd rather be at the tender mercies of the sensei than in the hands of the government. Do you expound on Dead Man's relationship with his sensei? <laughs> Sensei is the leader of the League of Assassins, um, and at this point, at this point, Deadman had been in Sensei's clutches in a four-issue series prior to this that was written by Andrew Helfer and drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. name. And um, really, Sensei is revealed in that series and the Deadman stories prior to that series to be the source of all dead man's problems. Um, from the hook who originally assassinated dead man to that four issue series. And at this point, sensei is, I, I don't really want to call him the Joker to dead man's Batman. He's more like a Luthor to dead man's Superman. He's not always the direct threat, but when he is a direct threat, he is truly threatening to dead man at that point. Uh, but he prefers to work through other sources. Hmm. And I guess in that, in that case, you know, I'm referring more towards the, um, the Lex Luthor of recent, like uh, post crisis and recent. So, but sensei is uh dead man's, uh, we'll call him nemesis. Sure. Why not? I've had I've had people ask uh, when I talk about them and they have enough experience with them. Usually, a lot of people say, "So, say is that guy from? Uh, oh, what is it they reference? They talk about those episode or that one episode of um, Justice League Unlimited, or was it just regular Justice League, uh, where it, it takes place place in Nanda Parbat? Okay." And that old guy up front, they, they're like, so that's his sensei, right? The guy that, you know, is kind of like the almost the go-between slash tutor for the go-between between Dead Man and Rama and this sort of wise, all-knowing guy who sort of trains Dead Man. I'm like, no. 
Those are not the same thing. <laughs> right. Just because it says sensei doesn't necessarily mean he's the teacher. <laughs> Correct. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, this, this, uh, this, this base here, it's in Virginia? Rural Virginia. Rural, rural Virginia. Uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> well, well hidden deep, deep in the mountains there. Yeah. Rural Virginia. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else you want to say about this story before we move on? Um, no. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> no, in this uh, pre pre uh, decompressed storytelling days, this thing nowadays would probably be an entire series. This one eight pager. Yes. <laughs> They'd make an issue out of, like I said, the panels in between or the lack of panels in between dead man being spacked out of Kasaba's body and being interred into that sarcophagus. Uh, welcome to DC in the modern age. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, before we uh, before we let you go and uh, move on into the, the next segment, focusing on Blackhawk, of course, where can people find you across the net, my friend? Oh, wow. Um, here, there, and everywhere. I write for Comicosity.com. Additionally, I have my Doom Patrol site, which, hey, Doom Patrol's back. That's right. Today yeah, yeah. as well, no, yesterday. Was it? Right. Yeah. Yesterday. Well, yesterday as of when we're recording this. Yes. Yep, Doom Patrol is back, and it was amazing. Uh, so you can find information about Doom Patrol at mygreatestadventure80.blogspot.com. That's mygreatestadventure80.blogspot.com. And then additionally, I have a blog that is neglected called Tales of My Greatest Strange Adventures.blogspot.com, um, which does tend to be my internet receptacle for dead man stuff right now. Although I do intend to eventually get to other stuff with that. Um, I do have an assignment for tomorrow's that I'm trying to get done before I focus too much of my time on my blog. And Ooh, lastly, can, I'll can be you, coming can up. Can you say what that is? Um, I don't know that I can. Yet. I can maybe off air, but I, <laughs> you know, I love tomorrow's. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that they've solicited it. So I don't know that I can say what it is yet. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. What else? But let's just say it's uh, it involves a character that, if you Google search with tomorrow's and Doug Zavisha, you may find something relevant to this. Just saying. Okay. All right. Um, and then I've got a an appearance or a guest hosting or something on a podcast from everybody's friend Ryan Daly. Uh, it's the podcasting hour, which kicks off somewhere around. Halloween. That's right. Focusing on who? Dead guy. <laughs> yeah, dead dead guy. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the lesser known sidekick of Dead Man. Yes. Dead man. <laughs> the the Mad Magazine version of <laughs> of Dead Man. Deceased guy. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming back, Doug. I really nice appreciate it. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's always great talking to you. We are going to take a quick break, guys, and when we come back, uh, yay, nay, uh, the misogynistic Blackhawk. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a Marvel title. <laughs> uh, awesome. 
Doom Patrol. 1963. Doom Patrol debut. My Greatest Adventure, issue 80. 1964. My Greatest Adventure, renamed Doom Patrol. Issue 85. 1968. Doom Patrol, destroyed. Issue 121. 1976. The new Doom Patrol. Showcase 94. 1987. Doom Patrol, volume 2. Coverberg Lytle. 1989. Morrison and Case. Issue 19. 1993. Pollack. Issue 64. 2001. Doom Patrol, volume 3. Arcudi Hewitt. 2004. Doom Patrol, volume 4. Burn. Shush. 2009. Doom Patrol, volume 5. Giffen Clark. 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast, because we're waiting. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean.com. Oh man, uh, we are back from break and talking about Blackhawk. And since we're talking Blackhawk, uh, that means Professor. Oh no, wait! Change up. That's right. I told you people we would be doing a semi-regular cast of rotating guest hosts, and we haven't yet gotten to that yet. But now we have because the host of King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun, Kyle Benning, is in the house. What's up, dude? Hey, how's it going? I'm all right. I'm all right. Dude, thank you so much for joining me for this. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me aboard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, you know, I got to ask everybody, what's your history with comics and what's your kind of attachment to this this particular group of characters in particular? Well, uh, my comic origin actually starts with uh, my dad and his brothers. And so uh, when I was little, I inherited a ton of comics uh, from my dad and most of them were from... uh, some of his brothers, my uncles. And so they were some of the first things I ever ran or ever read, uh, primarily bronze age comics and eighties comics, uh, got near complete runs of the incredible Hulk from the mid seventies to late eighties. Same for fantastic four, a bunch of who's who comics. And then a uh, pretty good sampling of, uh, transformers, GI Joe, and then, uh, some Superman comics, especially the, uh, radio shack, uh, free giveaways from the early eighties. And so uh, very early on, Superman became one of my favorite characters. I had a few issues of the Action Comics Weekly. And as my love for uh, Superman grew uh, throughout the 90s, it was always uh, kind of a focal point around my family. We'd always get together Sunday nights and watch uh, Lois and Clark when I was little. Uh, Every Sunday night, that was kind of our thing. Eat some popcorn and uh, watch that. And so being a Superman fan, I just started diving into more and more Superman back issues and Got, uh, at this point, nearly a complete run from Action Comics 500 all the way up to 904 when they suspended the numbering. Happy that it's back now. Uh, Unfortunately, I got rid of all my uh, New 52 Action Comics, so when I dropped a lot of the titles around, like, issue 21, 22, and so it pisses me off that they didn't just continue the numbering with 905. Now i got to go back and fill those in because it just jumps to, like, 956. (laughs) But uh, so uh, filling in my Action Comics 
uh, run. I picked these uh, really cheap, the, the ones I was missing probably five or six years ago. And I read them at that point, you know, the obviously at this point, four episodes in, we're just seeing that the uh, Superman segment's only two pages. So um, I'm a pretty big uh, Green Lantern fan as well, especially love uh, Gil Kane's run and his artwork. So it's kind of nice to have that in there. And then from Northeast Iowa, we don't have too many uh, Iowa superheroes. So uh, Wild Dog is uh, neat uh, from that front. But uh, my hometown, Waverly, Iowa, is actually the uh, birthplace of the Marvel Comics character Hawkeye. So we got that going for us. But uh, yeah, so it's just kind of a, an eclectic uh, group of characters and are something I really like the format. Obviously, based on my uh, podcast show, I have a fondness for oversized uh, comic issues, things like the 80-page Giants, 100-page Super Spectaculars. And so uh, my favorite era of DC Comics is definitely going to be the Dollar Comics era from like 1978 to 1983. And so those were all anthology comics. And the first time that DC really put out a giant issue with all new content and so uh, Action Comics Weekly is kind of a little brother to that, I guess. It came, you know, a couple of years uh, after the Dollar Comics era ended. But then you had this new weekly format, which is actually what the uh, Dollar Comics did. Uh, I mean, there were multiple titles, things like Superman Family, uh, some one-offs, uh, World's Finest, which was uh, definitely some of my favorite era, World's Finest. And uh, a new Dollar Comics issue would come out every week, but there were, you know, like 10 different series that had that format. Uh, Batman Family, then they got rolled into uh, Detective Comics, and that had the Dollar Comics format as well. So you had these weekly giant uh, anthology titles coming out every week, um, but uh, under different, you know, series. And so it was kind of all combined, kind of continued here with Action Comics Weekly. Really kind of a, a revolutionary series. I mean, we wouldn't see DC attempt a, a weekly series until much later. Uh, kind of a thing that I think you guys have already compared it. I, I don't remember who it was. Doug, you guys compared it to uh, the uh, Wednesday Comics feature that DC did around, when was that, 2009, 2010? Right. And so that's really kind of the last time DC's probably dabbled in the format. But it's a really neat format. It's too bad it didn't catch on. Kind of got to wonder who the book was marketed to at the time. Uh, you know, a lot of the books or the, the stories in here definitely seem to be uh, more mature skewed. And then you have the, you know, kind of the uh, commitment of a fairly expensive comic at the time coming out every week. For sure. Uh, so why, uh, why Blackhawk? Uh, I've always had kind of a, a fondness for war comics and uh, especially love uh, golden age. Well, that's one of the shows I do on my, my podcast feed is I love golden age comics. And so definitely a big uh, crossover there and a Venn diagram between Golden Age Comics and Blackhawk. So uh, always had, a, I guess, kind of a, a fondness for the characters a little bit. Uh, how they're depicted here is uh, much different than uh, probably one of the more highly acclaimed runs of Blackhawk, which was the uh, late 70s, early 80s run by Dan Spiegel and Mark Evanier. Pretty big departure from that, but uh, still a pretty interesting, uh, kind of more straightforward uh, adventure romp versus actual war title at least of what we've seen so far four yeah. issues in now yeah so um it, last time when i recorded with uh professor allen uh the blackhawk segment i had only uh found you know a couple of issues here and there and i bought one old issue which was 242 well since i've recorded those three segments that uh, everybody who's by now has heard on um uh, uh with allen I have since gotten 241, 243, and 244 of Blackhawk. Not only that, 
I also now have the showcase, uh, uh, the black and white reprint uh, showcase volume one of Black Hawk. And I've gone now and downloaded the original uh, serial, black and white serial. Um, I haven't read all that, nor have I watched all the Black Hawk serial stuff. But uh, uh, I'm a Black fan, I think, <laughs> for sure now. Um, the, the one run you'd really want to check out is they suspended the series and then it came back. I think it was with issue 251 and then ran to like 273 or something like that. Uh, it was actually 244. Um, so 241, 242, and 243 are the last, um, the last uh, uh, of that particular era. Uh, okay, let me see. Then, 243, then... I'm trying to see November 1968 and 244 is January of 1976. And that's, that's the Mark Evanier, Dan Spiegel run? Uh, I believe so. Okay. I was just off on the numbering, but yeah, Actually, that's a no. Uh, so creators, writer, Steve Skeets, artist, George Evans, and editor, Jerry Conway. Jump to 251. Okay. There you go. Uh, well, I, this is just showing you what I have. I, I have the CLZ, uh, comics app. So it's just telling uh, me what I have in my, in my, okay. uh, in my, uh, I thought, collection. I thought maybe you had Mike's Amazing World up or something, but yeah, no. I, I want to say it's like, 251 than when uh, Mark Evanier and Dan Spiegel take over and it's much more of a return to the original concepts at World War II and that stuff's awesome um, it's a run that I've always heard good things about and wanted to get into and then it was uh, Rob Kelly and Michael Bailey covering in an episode of Fire and Water it was probably around this time last year that uh, made me take the plunge Mike had found a, a lot on eBay that was pretty cheap and sent me a message with a link to it. So I snatched it up for, it was less than a dollar an issue. Really enjoyed that. So waiting for their follow-up. Been waiting for a year now. Come on, guys, get on that. <laughs> but, uh, I'd also recommend, I know uh, just behind the scenes, uh, some of the uh, Facebook uh, group chats that we've been on uh, around podcasting that you've never really dabbled in the golden age. I'd really recommend checking out the uh, Comic Book Plus is the website. It's got free public domain comics scanned all in there. And there's a near complete run of Blackhawk and military comics on there. And the Golden Age stuff put out by Quality Comics is amazing, both in story and art-wise. I mean, the Golden Age a lot of times is dismissed uh, pretty easily. And there's a lot of art in that that I would put panel for panel up against like modern-day comics. Some of the Quality Comics really lived up to their name. They had just some amazing artists and uh, typically their stories are pretty solid concise you know you didn't have some of the meandering that is uh, kind of thrown at the the foot of golden age comics a lot of times they were really top-notch stories so i would recommend checking that out and it's free so giving that a, a little bit to dabble yeah i'm pretty sure sure i'm going to go back and get some of that stuff i just feel like i should probably at least read <laughs> what i already had before i go get more <laughs> Uh, but I definitely, I was really excited when I saw that that Blackhawk uh, showcase volume one was at one of my LCSs because it, it wasn't the the last time I'd been there. Uh, what's but, the uh, what's what's the first issue collected in that? Is that one oh nine? Okay, so the first the first issue collected in this looks like issue one oh eight. One oh eight. Okay, so uh, they, DC just continued the numbering. Crazy to think about nowadays because everything starts over with a new number one. But back in the day, the mentality was if you're competing on the newsstand, someone's going to be much more likely to pick up the 110th, 110th issue of a comic because obviously the 
it must be good quality if it's ran 110 issues than they would be a, take a chance on a new number one that's untested. So quality comics folded in 1955, 1956. A lot of publishers time kind of fall out from the Frederick Wortham thing. And so DC snatched them up and all their characters and Blackhawk was, I think it was like four titles. They just continued the numbering of uh, from quality. There was like a three month break or something like that. And DC came out with their first issue, which would have been 109, I guess, of Blackhawk and just continued the numbering. No, it's pretty, it's, it, it, it all, I mean, I'm just flipping through it right now. It all looks pretty fantastic. I, I can't wait to actually find a, find some spare time to crack it open and get into it. Um, speaking of getting into it, you, we're, we're fresh into uh, to uh, the final story of issue 604. You want to give us a synopsis? Yeah. All right. So the story opens with Jano Prohaska, a.k.a. Blackhawk, and Miss Hastings, his employer, in flight on their way to Burma in search of the Red Dragon and the gold treasure they seek. Blackhawk continues his machismo routine, asking Hastings if she cares to join the Mile High Club. Yeah, I'm not kidding. After she shuts him down, and they have a little heated back-and-forth argument before coming to an agreement on how each will conduct themselves going forward. Blackhawk is pretty much unfazed by the daunting task that lays ahead of them. All he needs is a combination of steel nerves, split-second timing, and a little help from a friend in Saigon. And that friend is none other than Andre Blanc Dumont. And those with experience of other iterations of Blackhawk, a little spoiler here, know that uh, he's one of the original members. So we check in on Andre in Saigon, and uh, his lovemaking is interrupted by a knock on the door and the delivery of Blackhawk's summons to him. Back in the air over Burma... Hawkeye enacts the next part of his plan. He activates the controls for a stray oil line to dump oil into the starboard engine. This then sends off smoke and justifies their emergency landing into Red Dragon territory. Once the plane lands, they are met by the Red Dragon's forces and taken captive. Their first, inter- their first interrogator is Massey, the man last seen with the treasure thereafter. As he starts to take a more hands-on approach to his questioning of Miss Hastings, a bullet cracks from the... Wraps around Massey's neck... And a very sexy red-headed woman, as Shag would say, yeah, she's hot, the Red Dragon enters. Of course, that's continued next week. So, what do you think about it? Quite the, uh, <laughs> quite the uh, departure from uh, Hawkeye uh, portrayal that uh, if you're coming in from a Golden Age or DC Silver Age or the Dan Spiegel, Mark Amnir run, uh, quite the big uh, departure in his character. Um, you know, it's been forever since I've read these, these probably would have been some of the earliest Blackhawk exposure I would have had the, the first time I read them. So probably didn't click too much, but going back and rereading now, whatever it was, six years since I've read them and having read so much, uh, more Black Blackhawk stories since then, it's, uh, <laughs> it's really, really shocking, uh, the departure from the, the classic portrayal. And it actually is pretty amazing to me that it was actually Mike Grell writing it. Um, I would think knowing his background for kind of adventure-based characters like uh, Warlord or John Sable, that Blackhawk could have been a similar character in portrayal as one of those, you know, but he's not. Instead of kind of a straightforward man of action with uh, code, much as he was in the Golden Age to Bronze Age, he's much more of a, well, morally ambiguous scuzzball. <laughs> uh, I guess using uh, other pop culture uh, totems uh, for ranking him, I'd say he falls somewhere in between uh, Han Solo and the comedian from Watchmen from his yeah, uh, yeah, moral I, compass. 
I yeah, I, I, I guess I can see that. Now, one one issue I have with this is the near sudden one eighty he does from flirting with Hastings, Miss Hastings to saying, "All right, we're all about business now." Yeah, he's pretty much uh, get on top, honey, and she's uh, verbally slaps him and. Uh, he screams at her a little bit, like, uh, hey, you know who I am. I have no idea who you are, and I don't want to know. Trust me, and I need to trust you. And all of a sudden, they're uh, BFFs. So, yeah. I mean, you're working with a, an eight-page story format, so I meant like that can only take three panels, as it did. Yeah, that's true. I, that, so, do, is it the, the, the jarring feel that you get from reading this story with Blackhawk – it's not just from the fact that he's not involved in an actual war, right? It's the entire characterization of him? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And uh, Howard Chaikin had had his hands on the, on the character right around this time. And I'm going to guess that's something that maybe Chaikin added to the character because the way he's acting and the way he's written is much more in line with a Chaikin book. Uh, it's, God, it's been forever since I've read some of his run, and I've never read his entire run. I really need to get on that, so... Um, but, you know, I wonder if this is playing off of Chaikin's take on the character, because it definitely seems to be much more in line with a, a Chaikin-style lead man than a typical Mike Grell lead man. Yeah, it it seems like the creative team um, definitely lends some, is borrowing something heavily from uh, from Chaikin. I, ha- I haven't read much of it. I think I've read an issue or two here or there. Uh, yeah, I would definitely say it's borrowing from it. But again, I don't know enough about it to necessarily uh, say that definitively. What do you think of the art? I actually uh, really like the art. I think for the most part it's pretty solid. I really like Rich Burchett's style. Um, he's probably best known for his more animated style in the 90s. I think he did uh, quite a bit of work on comics that were like tie-ins for the DC animated series, like Batman Adventures and Superman Adventures. And actually, uh, in a lot of those stories, his uh, anchor was Terry you know, uh, co-creator and artist on uh, wild dog. So it's kind of interesting to see their solo work. That's very different in kind of look and tone here than what it'd be, you know, a decade later. Yeah. I, 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 I like the art. I like the layouts too. Like just the way some of like, for instance, the, the panel where they're both sitting in silence for, before he kind of agrees to, to, to talk to her, you know, more professionally. Um, I've, all, I, I've said throughout the podcast, I have issues with background space and panels. Uh, yeah, a lot of negative space. Yeah, exactly. For some reason, I don't mind it quite as much in this one. Like when when he flips on the to- when he has her flip on the toggle for the oil line for the for it to start spitting oil, uh, and and smoke comes comes out of it, and all you see is the plane. That actually works for me. So I don't know. I just feel like maybe maybe my my problem with negative space is just negative space for the hell of it. Uh, as opposed to using it effectively. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just the aesthetic of the story. I mean, it's set in the late 40s. It kind of has that simple golden age vibe that they're trying to capture the the time period. And I think a more simple line style that's not as cluttered lends itself better to negative space than, I guess, telling a story in that setting, if that makes sense. Yeah, because the backgrounds look great. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, it really kind of invokes a Fleischer Superman story type aesthetic, almost simple painted backgrounds of a more simple time, I guess. 
Actually, you know what? Now that you say it, because I because when you mentioned when you mentioned he uh, he were known for the animated series work, I was like, okay, well that got me thinking. Like, what about a Black Hawk animated series? And uh, for whatever reason, I couldn't I couldn't picture it. Then you said Fleischer, and I was like, oh, okay, I could definitely see a Black Hawk animated series if it was done in the old school Fleischer style. Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome to see. <laughs> I would I would lose my mind if I saw that. Um, now, as somebody who's just getting fresh into Blackhawk, what can you tell people without maybe spoiling what you know about where this is going? Because, again, I'm trying not to spoil myself too much either and read too far ahead. What can you say about Andre? Well, the concept of the original team, Blackhawk was kind of a straightforward man of action. And actually, the, the secret origin of Blackhawk was covered by uh, Rob Kelly and Ryan Daly on fairly recent episode of uh, Secret Origins. But uh, Black Hawk was this straightforward, heroic man of action, but he was kind of a reluctant one. Uh, the whole reason he got involved is his village destroyed by Nazi bombing and his family kind of killed. And so kind of the concept from Black Hawk, the, the head of the team to Black Hawks as a whole team unit, was there were other people throughout Europe that had suffered similar fates that lost their wife or their child, their sister, some family member because of this terrible act of war. And so they've kind of united. So it's almost like an international team. It's an international team of almost reluctant mercenaries or that uh, band together and kind of go. A lot of it's uh, a little smaller setting, like go village to village to, you know, take a stand and try to save these little villages, get the people to unite behind them and drive the Nazis back. It's kind of a, you know, a very, a very small setting empowerment thing. I, I, one uh, issue in particular that's always really stuck out to me from the Spiegel run was uh, there was like this village that had all these art, great art paintings and everything like that. And they pretty much submitted to the Nazis because of this uh, community leader wanted to save the art. And the Nazis promised, well, you know, we're not going to destroy your village. You're just going to essentially be our slaves and we're not going to destroy your art or anything like that. And so they were compliant. And then the Nazis, being the bastards they are, went in and destroyed a bunch of the art anyway. And so this guy's kind of – Blackhawk had gone to him and tried to get him to fight back. And that was kind of his breaking point. He sold out essentially to the devil, the Nazis, there to keep the art intact. And then they backed out on the deal and destroyed it anyway. And he pretty much lost everything in it. And so then at that point uh, – He's had enough, and the town's had enough, and they rally behind to drive the Nazis out. So a lot of smaller setting stories like that. So Andre was the uh, the French member of the team. Obviously, France was occupied quite a bit during World War II, so he had that in common with uh, Janos, who was from uh, Poland, I believe. And uh, yeah, it was made for a, a real neat ense cast ensemble. Of course, they had a very uh, racially insensitive <laughs> token uh Asian member of the team, Chop Chop. Uh, <laughs> he's typically been <laughs> dropped in later iterations, but uh, similar to uh, in treatment, I guess, to uh, Hal Jordan's pie face. So it's understandable why <laughs> those uh, changes were made in uh, recent years. <laughs> uh, see, now you, now you got me thinking, like, I, I know this thought has crossed my mind before, but now it's just like I need to, I need to see a Yanos and Hal Jordan team up. Like I just I need to see the pilots together. Makes sense. They're both pilots. I gotta see it. <laughs> oh man. Oh, see now, 
God, I need to be on staff at DC. Just like you put me in charge of like create a department for one shots. <laughs> just let me go. Yeah, imagine like a forty-eight page one shot by Darwin Cook that was just um, oh. Hal Jordan and Black Hawk palling around. Oh man! During the Korean War days, that would have been sweet. Oh man! If uh, if uh, Brave and the Bold was still going with JMS at the head, I know we would have gotten it. Was it, didn't JMS do a Blackhawk issue of of uh, of his run on Brave and the Bold? I'm pretty sure he did. I just can't remember who he teamed up with. Because the, one of the greatest stories to come out of JMS's run on uh, Brave and the Bold was that Girls' Night Out thing with Zatanna, Wonder Woman, and Batgirl. I, have you ever read that, by the way? Just a JMS fan. Oh no, dude! The, 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 that issue of uh, of uh, Brave and the Bold by JMS called Girls, dude. If you can find it, Girls Night Out, an incredible comic. Uh, I think it was voted best that year uh, that it came out. I just can't remember what year it was, but I'm pretty sure during JMS's run, he had a Blackhawk, uh, a Blackhawk issue. I just can't remember who he paired them with. I'll have to think about that. I'll see if we can do it. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, was it, I have to I have to ask because I haven't read enough. Was uh, was Andre always the uh, ladies' man, the kind of you know wooing wooing women Frenchman? Uh, kind of, just because uh, that's a pretty easy stereotype and shorthand to use for character development. That he's the French uh, womanizer. I mean, that's kind of a pop culture or fiction stereotype. So. Uh, Especially Golden Age comics, a lot of times will tap into those with pretty short, uh, short, shorthand. I guess visual shorthand. That's the that's the thing about a lot of Golden Age comics. They had you know an eight page story format to tell, and so I mean definitely it wasn't played up to this where he has long romantic scenes like you do here. But uh, a lot of times you have uh, so much parody and knockoffs going on in the Golden Age where you'd have characters built around uh, aesthetics of other characters. So Quality Comics published The Spirit, for example. In Police Comics number one, there were two other characters that were very spirit-like. And why not? You have all that work done for you that if you put a character on the page that has a similar premise and similar look to a pre-existing character, that the reader is already able to autofill so much background information and characterization on it that it saves you space in your you know limited seven or eight page format to tell a story. You don't have to dive into a whole bunch of characterization because you kind of already have that public zeitgeist or cultural knowledge of a character with a very similar premise built in. So I, I just think uh, that's an easy thing for them to fall back on and label it characterization as have him be the stereotypical uh, French womanizer. I'm just making sure it was there prior to this and, and not I mean, that they were just going straight into it. N- never like really played up to this level. I don't think that we've seen him that intimate. Um, okay. But again, he's not uh, this one. It seems that, you know, this is one partner that seems to be fairly, fairly serious. Uh, we don't know what the question was that uh, he proposed to his, uh, female companion uh, before he was uh, romantic session was uh, interrupted. Maybe that was a proposal for marriage. We don't know. So he's certainly not the uh, womanizer that we've seen out of Blackhawk at this point, who's been uh, with at least uh, three women to our knowledge and trying to made the moves on uh, two others so far. Hmm. Uh well, before we before we move on, I wanted to ask. Now I know that it's different in tone, 
But would you say that what you're seeing in the pages of Action Comics Weekly is consistent with the character, specifically with Yanos? Like it's not a it's not a complete departure. Look, taken taken in context, the fact that it's after the war and that maybe he's suffering through some sort of PTSD, uh, you know that sort of thing. Would would you say it's consistent with the character of Janos? I would say ultimately it doesn't matter because the uh, previous versions were pre-crisis and this would have been post-crisis. So this with Shaken's run would have been a new take on there in a new universe. So there's a little bit more of a blank slate to do whatever they want. That's true. That said, I'm going to come to wild dogs defense here that, uh, obviously, uh, things that have been brought up before is that he's such a stark contrast to the typical DC tone that everybody loves. Uh-huh. You know, he's a murderer and everything like that. Vigilante justice that people don't want that in their DC universe. So that's a big departure. Well, at least that's an original character. You're not taking a pre-existing character, a character that's been around 60 years, and just because you have a blank slate doing whatever you want to the character and adding new layers that are potentially unappealing uh, to their character in the process. So as much <laughs> as a uh, wild dog might be a uh, square peg trying to fit in a round hole uh, in a typical classic DC universe, at least use a new character. And uh, I think of a... A lot of current uh, complaints for uh, current comics are that they don't create any new characters and they're constantly changing or bastardizing (laughs) old characters and giving them very uh, different uh, interpretations than what we've seen in their 70-year histories so far. You know, why doesn't someone just create a new character if they want to run this character through the mud. Why do they have to do this with Superman or Batman? Well, there you got it on a wild dog. <laughs> Nobody's happy with the end results. So it's kind of funny to, to see that people complain about that. But on the flip side is, well, would you rather they did this with Batman instead? <laughs> so True. Um, he was a new character. They were trying out something new, which that's the appropriate, I guess, canvas to do that on is with a, a totally new character. If you want to start contrast, you normally do things with a superhero or colorful vigilante at least they're doing it to the right character but again that kind of begs the question of who exactly was the target audience for this book again that you have a more mature leaning uh, black hawk for sure i mean kind of uh <laughs> loaded sexual harassment and uh sexual mm. assaults as we'll see uh, i think it's the the next issue Versus, you know, kind of a more Silver Age heroic strong man with a square jaw. And then he has a bunch of uh, European teammates going around and punching out Nazis. That's true. That's true. Uh, and you, you hear that, Jay Jones, for your Wild Pod podcast? Kyle Benning. <laughs> he's he's ready to defend, to defend Wild Dog with you. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, we don't get too many superheroes here in Iowa. Uh, he's from cities there. And Terry, Terry Beatty is from the Midwest. He's not from Iowa. I think he's from Missouri. But I've, I've met him at a number of uh, local issues signed by him. He's got a uh, wild dog cover by uh, Klaus Jansen, which actually uh, he was not very pleased with. I think you guys touched on this uh, last episode when you guys covered 603, that, you know, why when you have – I think last episode, right, it had a Blackhawk cover, but it was by Kyle Baker. Why why aren't you having the feature artist do the cover when their feature is featured on the cover? Mm-hmm. That was a sticking point for Terry Beatty, he mentioned as he was signing 
uh, this issue. I also have it signed by Pablo Marcos, who's the anchor on the Blackhawk story. And uh, it, it really bugged him that when Wild Dog got covers in the series that he didn't get to draw them. So I think that was a common complaint along, uh, or to, from a lot of the artists that uh, they were drawing the internal features but not getting to do the covers. I think that bugged quite a few of them. It certainly bugged yeah. Terry Beattie. Yeah, it would, it would definitely, because I, I do have a couple of issues with this cover, as, uh, as people will have heard, but uh, already this episode, it's just... First of all, the negative space, and again, I've gotten into it. Like, you can't tell. Are these supposed to be pieces of paper? Uh, are they shards of glass? I thought they were shards of glass at one point. The perspective's off. Is that a building behind it? Is it a flipped over truck? Like, is it a is it a filing cabinet? Like, what the heck is that thing? <laughs> so, the... yeah, Klaus Jansen, obviously a uh, pretty well touted, uh, historically great anchor on guys like uh, Frank Miller or. Uh, John Romita Jr. in the 80s, not so much now, uh, but I've uh, never been a, a big fan of his pencil work, especially not his uh, Spider-Man work from around the same time period, maybe a, a few years later. But uh, I will say that, uh, anecdote for you, I, I have almost every single issue of Action Comics Weekly uh, signed by somebody. It's kind of been an ongoing goal of mine that uh, every year at the – there's two cons up in Minnesota, and I haven't been to them since my son was born two years ago, but uh, – always have a, a great group of artists and uh, writers. And so guys like uh, Len Straszewski, uh, Dan Jurgens every year, Terry Beatty, Pablo Marcos. Uh, who else have I gotten to sign some of these? I met Denny O'Neill a couple of years ago. And he was the editor and he might've wrote some of the later Deadman features, got uh, his signature on a couple issues. And so it's kind of been fun with it being an anthology title. You know, there's so many different creators that have worked on it to get them signed on it. But Terry Beatty, I believe his issue 636 has a Jack Kirby Etrigan cover on it. Mm-hmm. He said that was like a career high point for him. He grew up just the biggest Jack Kirby fan ever to have a character he co-created and was drawing inside a comic book with a Jack Kirby drawn cover was just like his childhood dream come true. So he loved <laughs> signing that one, but he did it up in the corner real small because he didn't want it to be anywhere near defacing uh, Kirby's great uh, <laughs> demon image there. Do not so, deface the king. That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've actually, uh, speaking of Denny O'Neill, he's, I've said him numerous times in multiple different podcasts, uh, Denny O'Neill's one of my heroes. I've actually gotten to interview him twice and once face-to-face in a room with him. Uh, oh wow nice and that was that was awesome it's, it's a funny little anecdote it was right after a panel he had at the uh wizard world austin show uh and the panel room cleared out i wish i should have actually recorded that panel to be honest with you uh the panel room cleared out and then it was just me and denny o'neill alone in the room and then, then his wife was sitting there too while i interviewed did she did she have the wood uh bat symbol earrings on yes she did yep that's what i <laughs> too. uh mary fran i believe that's her name and uh bless her heart i i took advantage of the moment and i gave her my smartphone so she could take a picture of me and denny o'neill and she tried multiple times and uh <laughs> i didn't have the heart to tell her that she didn't get a single picture of me and denny o'neill <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, but I, I it doesn't matter i have i have you know the audio of me and denny you know he signed a couple of things for me i I, I had my uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow 85, where you know, Speedy's shooting up heroin on the cover. Oh, yeah. So I had him sign that along with uh, Neil Adams was also there at that con. So I had him sign it too. So, uh, yep, yeah. I have uh, Green, Air, Green Lantern, Green Arrow 78 signed by both of them. Good stuff. 
All right. Well, before we um, before we wrap up this episode, where can people find you across the net? You can find me over at the Legion of Super Bloggers, which is this episode dropping Saturday. Uh, tomorrow. Oh, no. Uh, fr- Friday. 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 Yeah. So I would have just finished up my Great Darkness Saga coverage over on the Legion of Super Bloggers. And uh, I'll be taking those blog posts and turning those into podcast episodes here over the next two weeks over at my big podcast feed, which is King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. Got a bunch of different podcasts on that show that come out very sporadically. But that way, uh, so many different shows, depending on what mood I'm in, I'll knock out two or three episodes and then move on to the next thing. I do do a War Comics podcast there, do a Golden Age Comics podcast there. And then uh, I also have another podcast on its own separate feed, the Superman and Captain Marvel Power Hour podcast, where I talk about my two favorite DC characters, Superman and then the original Captain Marvel, originally published by Fawcett, more commonly known as Shazam today. And you can find that. I think that's Superman Captain Marvel.blogspot.com. Otherwise, just Google it. And both those are available on iTunes. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Kyle. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad that uh, so many people are stepping up, claiming various characters that they want to talk about. And uh, I'm, I'm happy I can kick off my uh, promise of a rotating semi-regular guest host thing uh, w- with you, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me aboard. I'll talk about pretty much any feature in here. I love anthology comic books. It's kind of my thing. And uh, oversized issues, so... I really have a, a fondness for this format, even though it only lasted 43 issues and didn't really catch on. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, listener feedback. Hi, I'm Kyle Benning, and I love comics. In fact, I love them so much that I ramble on about them on a number of podcasts, all on one feed, found under the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun banner. I talk about comics with extra page counts, like Treasury Comics, prestige format books, DC's Dollar Comics, Marvel's Giant Size Specials and King Size Annuals, and much, much more. I also love to talk about DC's Crisis on Multiple Earth crossovers, free comics from Special Promos, Free Comic Book Day, Star Wars, My Life as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, random comic book back issues, and many other elements of geek culture that happen to strike my fancy. There's new content usually dropping at least once a week, and it's all found on one feed. You can subscribe via iTunes. Just search for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun in the iTunes Store or podcast app on your iPhone. Otherwise, you can follow the podcast at the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun blog headquarters, available at www.kingsizecomicsgiantsizefun.blogspot.com. That's all one word, kingsizecomicsgiantsizefun.blogspot.com. Or follow on Facebook by simply searching for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun. So for snappy review and discussions on comics, new and old, usually done from the front seat of my car or my lunch break at work, check out King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. Alright guys, that's going to do it for episode 604 of the Action Comics Weekly Podcast. I wanted to thank all my guests yet one more time for coming onto the show and talking about the, the characters that interest them and sharing their passion with both me and you, the listening audience. Now, like I said, we are going to go straight into listener feedback. Um, This time around, 
things are going to be done slightly different. I didn't have quite as much prep time as I would like. This will probably be the one and only time I make an exception to the uh, the feedback in terms of the way in which I'm doing it. Uh, usually what I do is I go on and I make a list of, you know, who liked and, you know, try and do an alphabetical sorting and it's a whole thing. Uh, this time I'm going to be slightly more scatterbrained with it. I do apologize as you're listening to this. Well, actually, as this episode releases uh, on, um, and <laughs> forgive me, but I'm hoping Friday, September 16th, 2016, and I'm doing my very damnedest to <laughs> adhere to that. So if it releases after that fact, please know it was beyond my control. Um, and I, I apologize in advance on the off chance that it does release after that. Um, but as it's supposed to release, as I'm intending to release it uh, on the 16th of September 2016, I am recording this the night, what you're hearing right now, the night before. Um, actually, as I'm looking at my clock, 40 minutes <laughs> before uh, the 16th officially goes into effect. So, um, I'll get into that a little bit later uh, in terms of what I'm getting into with scheduling but let's talk about the facebook likes comments and shares um some likes comments and shares for the podcast came from eric jack nash keith g baker the lantern cast max romero jay jones gene hendrix kyle benning clinton robson and the relatively geeky podcast network some facebook shares also came from john smith Coffee and Comics Blog, The Longbox Crusade, Silver and Gold Podcast, and Wild Pod, a Wild Dog Podcast. Longbox Crusade said, downloaded and ready to listen to. Great show. Awesome. Really appreciate that. Coffee and Comics Blog says, diving straight into this. I want to make sure I get started in plenty of time this episode. I fell behind a little on the first two. Give it a listen, people. To which uh, Rue Sutherland liked that post. I really appreciate it. Also, some Facebook likes uh, uh, on some of these other shares coming from Kyle Benning and David Ace Gutierrez. Switching over to Twitter now. Uh, again, some more scatterbrain stuff. I usually try and organize this slightly better. But Longbox Crusade says, downloaded and uh, ready to listen to. It's a great show. Same thing where they said over on Facebook. Again, I really appreciate, even if you leave the exact same comments on Facebook or Twitter, it doesn't matter to me. It is, it, it, it's promotion for the show and it helps get the word out there. So I really appreciate that retweet uh, with, the, with that commentary. Coffee and Comics blog, Longbox Crusade, Mountain Flower, and Mike Swap. All also liked uh, the, the the post. Uh, Coffee and Comics Blog says, Time for action. Can't, can't wait to listen. Mark Sweeney, The Hammer Strikes, Two True Freaks, Silver and Gold, FKA Jason G Baker, Martin Gray, Ryan Daly, Silver and Gold, Codeman, Comics tweets and knowing flame comic also gave me several retweets and likes and I really 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 appreciate all of it for sure. Keith G Baker tagged myself and FKA Jason, uh, aka the hashtag Wild Dog Expert, <laughs> on an image from some recording from the set of Arrow, uh, and that was actually a uh, a, a 
photo of uh, the cast, you know, acting out some scenes in which we see Wild Dog actually physically represented on the show. And now I, I, you know, kind of mentioned uh, elsewhere, Wild Dog is going to be appearing in live action in the upcoming, I believe it's season five of Arrow. Uh, in addition to Ragman, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, but we actually do see Wild Dog, and he he looks like he stepped right off the page. There is... I can't see a single detail about his costume that is not literally interpreted in his live-action version. That sparked a conversation between myself, Martin Gray, uh, FKA Jason, and Mark Sweeney over on, uh, on, on Twitter and... Uh, you know things like uh, how amazing they managed to recreate the wild dog costume so well that's what martin gray says and uh and uh jay jones said and with no cgi <laughs> even the cw knows better than to mess with wild dog hashtag badass um and in the con- conversation continued from there um and it was it, it, i i just love this back and forth i'm starting to establish with you guys out there and i really appreciate it um Martin Gray sent me a tweet and a message and a couple other things saying, hey, checking out the UK iTunes reviews may be fun. We'll get to that in just a minute. Um, and then Codeman says, this comics podcast has been approved by the Codeman with authority. And then Mark Sweeney says, enjoying the heck out of this show. Good concept and great fun. Awesome, guys. I really appreciate every like, retweet, share, comment tag everything you guys are doing for me across both facebook and twitter if you guys are doing it elsewhere for me and i'm just not recognizing it at the very least shoot me uh shoot me a tweet or uh, respond on facebook or write it on the action comics weekly uh, wordpress page let me know that you're out there promoting it elsewhere across the internet and i am all over it uh, I am so happy you guys are out there uh, spreading the love uh, for this show and for my co-hosts who are joining me in this endeavor. And I say endeavor a lot every episode, don't I? I need to probably grab a thesaurus or something. Um, but anyways, that you know, my, co- my, my co-hosts that are joining me, joining me in all of this, they bring so much more to the table than I do. And I just I, I, I can't thank you guys enough for, for spreading the love for this show. It's, it's, it's really something to see. Now, normally at this point in the show, I'd skip over to the website comments, but I'm not going to do that just yet. I'm actually going to get straight into the review since I did mention Martin Gray's tweet to me. First and foremost, one thing I gotta I gotta do is Gene Hendricks went over last episode. I mentioned that he had left a review for the show over on iTunes. Gene Hendricks also took that exact same review and posted it over on Stitcher as well. So Gene Hendricks is my first review over on Stitcher, five stars. It's the exact same review as it is over on iTunes, but I did forget to mention it last episode. Uh, So I'm just going to read it again here, uh, just as my way of apologizing for not recognizing that it existed in the first place over on Stitcher. Um, I do not get I do not get notifications when you guys leave reviews. So if you're on Facebook, Twitter, 
or if you can leave a comment over on the Facebook page, definitely do so when you do leave a review so I know to, to look for it. I look for it anyways, or at least I try to look for it anyways, but at least once before I do the bumpers for these episodes. And by bumpers, I mean this piece I'm recording right now, the intro outro. Um, but sometimes something may slip through the cracks. So if you leave me a review on iTunes or Stitcher, let me know to keep an eye out for it. Like Martin did for the iTunes review uh, that I will get to in a minute. But... Rereading Gene Hendricks' review, he says uh, that the title of which is A Great Look at an Overlooked Run. Most people, myself included, have skipped over the weekly run on Action Comics when going back to fill in their collections. This, I have found out, is a mistake. There are some really good stories in here which Chad and his co-hosts are bringing to light. Yes, the shows are on the longer side, but they are well worth the time. You get as much analysis for a two-page Superman strip here as you would get from an entire issue on another show. Not only that, it's all entertaining. If you're a fan of comics at all, do yourself a favor and check out this show. Again, I read that uh, that review last episode, but I did want to give it some love uh, here since it's also over on Stitcher and my first review over on Stitcher. Gene, I really appreciate you uh, being an active, avid listener of this show, leaving reviews, leaving feedback, and doing everything that you do. I really do appreciate it. Speaking of reviews, I did get one more new review over on iTunes. And this review, as alluded to earlier, comes from Martin Gray. Um, the title of which is Reaction, regarding action, and it's a five-star review. Now, Martin says, Superman, Green Lantern, Nightwing, Deadman, Wild Dog? Okay, they can't all be winners, but Chad Bokelman and his rotating co-hosts, seriously, their heads are spinning, never fail to entertain as they discuss DC's 80s attempt to not just revive the anthology series, but do so on a weekly basis. The death of Kat Matui, the cult of Superman, the lack of any appeal whatsoever in the Wild Dog character. It's all here in a podcast that's long enough to get you through the two weeks between episodes. Tune in and learn just why the experiment didn't even last a year. I appreciate that review, Martin. And Martin, thank you so much for letting me know, you know, through all the ways you did let me know that this podcast, that this review existed in the first place. Guys, in addition to letting me know that you're leaving a review um, on iTunes and Stitcher because I don't get a notification when you do, with regards to iTunes in particular, if you are not, if you are leaving a review for me on iTunes um, specifically, and you are not in Canada, the UK, or the United States, let me know absolutely let me know because when you go into itunes down at the very bottom and i mean literally open the itunes uh open the itunes software on your computer go into the itunes store from there and then scroll down there's an option that says change country when you hit change country, then you can choose from a list of countries and then do searches within the iTunes store regarding the things available in that country. My podcast should be available throughout all of them for the most part. The only ones I check regularly are the United States, the UK, and Canada. If you are anywhere else, let me know when you leave a review. I mean that a wholeheartedly because 
there are just way too many options for me to check every single one of them before I record an episode. And just for consistency's sake, regardless of whether you're in the US, the UK, Canada, or anywhere else, if you leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, let me know anyways. Even if you're pretty sure I'm going to see it before you can even let me know. Tell me anyway so I don't miss it. I need to I need to make sure I'm giving you guys shout outs for leaving me these reviews. I, I, I can't I can't thank you enough for all these reviews and comments and things you guys leave. These reviews really help increase the visibility of the show uh, overall in terms of people looking for comics podcasts and the more reviews I get, the better. And obviously I hope for five star reviews every time, but you know, I, I'm not going to be pissed at you if you leave a three or four star review. I might not be too happy with the three, two, one. Uh, but you know, if, if you, who am I to tilt, tip the scales? If you legitimately have a problem with the show or me or whatever, uh, then I'm happy to take the constructive criticism. If you just hate the show because you hate the show, then I guess that's okay too. <laughs> but uh, if you don't like the show for, for a particular reason, a really specific, particular, constructive criticism reason, I am happy to uh, to listen to you and even possibly read it on the air. So, But the more reviews, the better. Obviously, hopefully positive. But if not, heh, I'll live. Now on over to the WordPress page before we wrap up this episode. Again, the WordPress actionweeklypodcast.wordpress.com. Feel free to leave comments specifically regarding a specific episode on the post for that particular episode. Such as, I got six comments over here, and I got six comments over here from three different people. I've got... Comments from, of course, Jay Jones, who says, I think I just remembered that Oprah Winfrey showed up in the pages of Action Comics Weekly. Could be a false memory, but maybe not. Fingers crossed. I think Hal was her guest, and he got laughed out of the studio. Looking forward to that. Can we quit dogpiling on Wild Dog? I mean, I'm as guilty as the next guy, but enough already. Let's hope by... Let's hope that by episode 604, at least someone will have something positive to say about the poor guy. His original miniseries was not without merit, and neither are his Action Comics weekly appearances. I mean, I stand by my original statement. Quote, he's just there. He just exists. Unquote. But he used to be something really cool. If only someone would talk about him. If only someone would talk about it in podcast form. I'm so subtle. Of course, he's referring to his upcoming Wild Pod, a wild dog podcast. Check that out. I believe it should be airing on the 17th, which is Saturday. So as this episode comes out, hopefully, assuming it again, it comes out Friday, tomorrow. Martin Gray says, now, now, Chad, when I volunteered for Dog Killer D, I wasn't talking about Wild Dog. You can't make me. And McGurk relates to the first ever Mr. Mixing Splitlick story. Worth a look. I'll have to check that out, Martin. And take your word for it. Mr. Mixes Pitalik never really caught my attention very much. Um, Mark Sweeney says, First, great job, Chad and guests. You've got three very enjoyable listens here so far. Second, lessee, something positive about Wild Dog. Wild Dog, especially his outfit and... Especially his outfit and the great original miniseries, House Ad, really captured my imagination as a kid. 
Back then, a look was all that was really necessary to sell me on a concept. I really thought Wild Dog's look was quite awesome, but this way more... But this was way before I was able to negotiate a monthly release schedule. Much less master the art of collecting a fleeting four-issue miniseries. My fascination stuck with me for years. However, I was finally able to complete my collection in adulthood. Lobo 62 was the hardest to find. It pretty much met my 25-year-old expectations. I really dig the work of Collins and Beatty, but understand how the really quite unflashy art of Beatty may not be for all tastes. I'm a big Miss Tree fan, but understand Collins and Beatty's inclination to get some mainstream work. I don't mean to imply that their heart wasn't in Wild Dog, but I can imagine that the money from their DC gig allowed them to focus and produce the work that they really wanted to make for independent publishers. By the way, Jason, I'm expecting sometime in the next few episodes of Action Comics Weekly a born-again-type revelation on your part regarding your affection for the character, as I'm commenting two days away from the first episode of Wild Pod. Looking forward to it. Great work, man. Thanks so much, Mark. I really appreciate you leaving that comment, and I'm happy to have you amongst my regular commenters now uh, on the Action Weekly Podcast.wordpress.com. Uh, website. I really appreciate it. Martin Gray piped in and said, yes, Oprah showed up in GL. That was the first time I'd come across her. Who knew she was real? I'm amazed you boys feel this story could have come out of the Silver Age. To me, the slicing of Katma's... To me, the slicing of Katma signaled we weren't in that particular Kansas. Star Labs was also not routinely an evil organization. If it was ever shown as dodgy, you were indeed likely thinking of Project Cadmus. There was also the Sunderland Corporation in Swamp Thing and Firestorm. It's Barbara Randall Kessel these days as well. And Thor is not a team book, Chad. Asgardians are just supporting cast. Okay. You gotta give me so many different things to comment on. Alright, so first, first things first. Amazed that you feel the story could have come out of the Silver Age. I keep saying it, and I, I said it even again in this episode. What, what do you want from me? It is Gil Kane on Green Lantern. I can't help it. You could have Green Lantern with scruff and killing people, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you could have it done. It's Gil Kane. If Gil Kane draws it, I'm going to immediately mentally put myself in the Silver Age. I cannot help it. Now, as far as Star Labs, I think I was because at the time I, I've I've I love these and I've mentioned it on other podcasts. The Justice League of America uh, prose novels that Graphic Audio adapted into um, their format. Amazing novels, even better graphic audio interpretations. My single favorite of that grouping is the Flash Stop Motion novel slash graphic audio adaptation. I've listened to that, read that, re-listened to that, reread that a billion times probably by now. And I was listening to it by then, uh, right around that time. And I think in that story, Star Labs is not necessarily an evil organization, but there's a little bit of shady stuff going on. And I do remember Star Labs in the comics sometimes having some shady dealings every now and then, or at least a shady division or something. Um, now, I think they're more benevolent 
than they are evil and I, even evil i feel is a little too outright but definitely project cadmus was the one i was thinking about last time uh for sure uh now as far as thor is not a teen book no i did make a distinction a distinction between teen books and group books thor i categorized as a group book now the reason i categorized thor as a group book is because i only own two Marvel omnibuses, hardcover Marvel omnibuses. One, the Marvel Secret Wars, which I still haven't read. I've owned this omnibus at least two years, and I have still never read it. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but I do have the Marvel Secret Wars omnibus and have never read it. The other Marvel omnibus I own is Thor by J. Michael Straczynski. I love that comic book. This story came out right around the time I was really heavily collecting Green Lantern. I, if I remember right, I think it was coming out during or at the tail end of Blackest Night. I was as excited to read a new issue of Thor... As I was to get the next issue of Blackest Night. And I love Blackest Night. And I was heavy and fresh into my Green Lantern. Just, I got a, I'm a sponge soaking up everything. I was pissed when JMS's Thor was late. There were a bunch of times throughout his run that some of his issues were late. And I was so upset at Marvel or JMS or whoever's fault it was that my Thor was late. I haven't read all of Thor. I am a big Thor fan. Now, I, I talk about how like Dead Man is in my top five of, of DC. Thor is in my top five of Marvel. Um, and when it comes to specifically the JMS Thor... The Asgardians are a heavy part of that story. I realize they haven't always been, nor would they continue to be very much after the JMS run on Thor. But for that chunk that I was just completely all in on Thor, they were a big part of it. So I considered them as important to the story as Thor. Now, obviously, it, the, the comic is called Thor, and within the... I don't want to spoil anything in case my, like, just <laughs> infectious love of this makes you want to go pick this up in the back issue bins or something. But at the time, there was no Odin. So essentially, Thor was king of Asgard. Um, and it's just... Oh, man, it's such a good comic. Uh, and I can't... I don't know how to say his name per correctly so forgive me if i'm saying this wrong but olivier coipel was doing the art on that and just between jms's writing and olivier coipel's art it was just it's such a good run on thor i love it um that's that that's that run if you've ever seen it maybe like on, during like as a meme or something on facebook or whatever you know how the that pa the, that panel of aquaman like shoving, uh, like shoving his arms up into the air and commanding the uh, the great whites to snatch the snatch the parademons out of the sky, and like it, it says across it, it's it, it's from the, the the first six issues of Justice League during a 
uh, after the New 52 started. And it says, like, you know, they said I have lame powers or, or whatever. When you... Sometimes when you see Thor referenced in terms of, like, you know, how badass he is, you'll see this collection of panels where Thor is confronting Iron Man and... Thor has this line where he's like, you know, kind of like, stay away from me or, or respect, you know, my space or something like that. And then he says, he says this line and he's, he's talking, this is Thor talking to Iron Man and he goes, and I, I, I believe this is, this, I believe this is it without me going and grab the comic. He says, or learn again the difference between a god of thunder and a mortal man in a metal suit. <laughs> And he, he delivers that just serious deadpan. Just basically telling, and excuse me, he's basically telling Iron Man to fuck off. <laughs> and I love it. Like, just the writing, the art, it's, I, I'm not, this is a DC-related podcast about a series that was released in the 80s. I'm not gonna go any further into my love of the JMS Thor run. Um, but... You may say, Martin, you may say that Thor is not a team book or a group book as I classified it when I mentioned the differences in my mind between team and group books. But specifically relating to Thor as written by JMS and drawn by Olivier Coipel, that's definitely more of a group book. And the Asgardians are definitely, they, they may be still technically supporting cast, but they have way more interaction than you would think than your standard Thor stories. And I'll just leave it at that. Alright, so that's going to wrap up feedback for this episode. Again, I apologize, it's a little scatterbrained. Uh, we'll get into that. Um, I was going to wait until much later to make the announcement, but I want to prepare you guys now. The Action Comics Weekly Podcast will be going on a hiatus during the months of November and December. Now, there are several different reasons for this. One, I need to build up my backlog again. Two, as far as pre-recorded segments and stuff like that. Two, I need to focus on work. Two is more importantly than one. Um, for those of you unaware, I'm a car salesman here in Austin, Texas. And as you can imagine, the months of November and December are the busiest, usually, in uh people who in the car industry for people who are shopping for vehicles now i'm not necessarily saying i won't have as much time but my schedule depending on the day i work either as scheduled eight to five or ten to eight the problem with that is i am in a commission-based job if it's five o'clock on a certain day and i work eight to five but i have customers at my desk who are willing to buy a vehicle and i can help them out and get them out the door in a vehicle that's another vehicle sold for me for that month that's another way for me to put food on the table and pay my bills and do this so i'm going to stay late if that's what it takes so in terms of scheduling time to record with people I don't like trying to do it to in, in such a way until I know for sure I'm going to be in front of my computer at home to record these segments. So since I'm going to be theoretically, hopefully, busier than I've been recently in the months of November and December, I need to take a little bit of a hiatus to make sure I have enough time to build up my backlog. Now, part of the reason I also want that two months in order to build up the backlog is because 
like everybody else, in the months of November and December, holidays are starting to come around, which means people are less available to record quite as often. So I want to utilize that hiatus so that I can make sure I'm giving myself enough, make sure I'm giving myself ample time to sit down and actually figure out some times to schedule recording with my various co-hosts for the segments. It also will give me time to edit better, plan better, sort comments and feedback better, and so on and so forth. In addition, as I've said in every opening of this podcast since it started, I do have plans for a semi-regular rotating cast of guest hosts. As you heard this episode, Kyle Benning swapped out with Professor Allen and joined me on the Blackhawk segment. I'd like to do a little bit more swapping, regardless whether that means, you know, like, let's just take an example, swapping Doug into the Secret Six segment and 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 swapping Doug into the Secret Six segment and Ben into the Dead Man segment, or just getting some new co-hosts for a couple of issues and then going back to the ones that I was using before. I don't know. I do need time to figure it out. My original idea, at least as it stands right now, is to swap people out during story arcs. But sometimes it's a little hard to define those story arcs. So I need time to think and plan things a little better. I need time to build up my backlog. And I need to focus on my job a little bit in the a little bit more in the months where it's definitely going to count, where my added focus will help my paycheck. Um, so I I know this is a new podcast. I know it's a biweekly podcast, and I'm already planning on going on a hiatus. I apologize if that makes anybody upset out there, but hopefully, at least in terms of my day-to-day job, you guys understand. Um, And if anybody out there is listening to the podcast and just cannot get caught up because of how long it is, a two-month hiatus may give enough people who were planning to listen to it but just couldn't time over their holiday travels, whether they're in flight or on the road, time to listen to the episodes in the first place so they can get caught up by the time things start regularly posting again in January. Don't worry, you will get podca- the podcast all the way up until the final episode that'll, that, that comes out in October, and then after that point we go on hiatus and I'll be back in January. I will remind you again at, in the uh, last episode of October that we're going on hiatus, but I did want to give you a little bit of a heads up now, okay? Hope you guys are cool with that. If not, yell at me in the comments at actionweeklypodcast.wordpress.com. That is the best pre-intimate spot to leave me some feedback. I love it when I get a notification on my phone that there's a new comment on the WordPress page. That is my single favorite spot to see feedback. Not to discount any others because those are also awesome. Not everybody has time to go on and log on to WordPress and type a long comment or whatever. Some people only have time for a tweet and I love that too. So tweeting, you can tweet. So you can tweet, retweet, like over on Twitter. I am at Cage Narlay. That's at C-A-G-E-N-A-R-L-E-I-G-H. Or you can follow the show over on Facebook as well. Just type in the Action Comics Weekly Podcast, like the page, 
Keep an eye on the posts as they come up and make sure you leave a comment or like or share those posts over there as well. If you would like and feel so inclined to do so, please leave me a review over on iTunes or Stitcher. And regardless of where you leave that review on iTunes or Stitcher, you give me a Facebook message or a comment or something on the WordPress page or a tweet and let me know that review is out there. And if you're in a different country over on I and you leave that review on iTunes, let me know which country I should be looking under and I'd be more than happy to read those on the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Thanks yet again to my guest this episode. And I will see you guys in two weeks. No, no problem. Um, I'm seeing a pop-up on my Skype. It says there's a problem between the internet connection. It just went away and fixed itself, but heads up. Okay. Hang on a sec, Chad. What is it, hon? No, no, go ahead. We're going to just keep on going through, and if there's a problem, there's a problem. Your, your job is more important than Wild Dog. It's totally not, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> What's more important than Wild Dog? <laughs> Uh, be careful what you say when you're being recorded. I might put that after the credits at the end of one of the episodes. Uh, yeah, she's got a sense of humor there. You know, she'll she'll think it's funny. Hopefully. <laughs> oh man.